No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. I hope everybody had an awesome Thanksgiving. Um, our guest this week had an awesome Thanksgiving, I'm sure, but it was way back in October because he is in the Great White North, and he is a uh, longtime friend of the show. I was looking at the at the data earlier today, and uh, he made his first appearance on the program October 14, 2006, so over a decade ago. Uh, he first appeared on the show and then made many, many, many more appearances on the program, uh, talking baseball, talking UFOs, talking about uh, ghost hunting, which is what we're going to be getting into tonight. Uh, he even had his own special one year on Banal of America called Kimball of Canada, which I believe is like missing from the website. So maybe if I'm not too lazy this week, maybe I'll I'll dig that up and get that uh, get that back online. Because that was like a massive, a massive interview we did, uh, talking of course about the illustrious Paul Kimball, filmmaker, TV star, uh, author. I like to call him a paranormal pundit because he's never short on opinions when it comes to all this great stuff and uh, and, and 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 very interesting um, reaction from the from the audience. Uh, He's, I was surprised. Uh, some guy was like all, all, all a tither about it. I forget who it was, but he was like, ah! So, so, so uh, in classic paranormal pundit form, he's already uh, polarizing the audience. And every time we talk, it seems like he gets me thinking, and he's never afraid to sort of challenge my ideas or put ideas out there that, uh, that you know, that I may not have considered yet. So uh, it's a real thrill to get him back, and I think he may be the only person – uh, as excited about about the final season as I am. Every time I, I, I cross paths with him on Facebook, it seems to come up. So uh, he's been a huge, huge booster of this program over the years. I can't thank him enough. And as I said, over the last few weeks with some of the guests we've had on, like Adam Go-Rightly and Bruce Rucks and guys we're going to have on uh, going forward here, you know, these are the these are the folks. That, they're not just guests, folks. Uh and and they're not even just friends at this point. They're like family, and and, it's good. and you know they've been with me the whole way. And I want to make sure everybody gets a shot here uh, as we close out the season, close out the show, uh, but all of America Audio. So uh, welcome back to the show, Paul. Thank you so much for everything you've done for the show over the years. And uh, you know, here's to one last ride, brother. <laughs> hmm. Sorry, I I had to lead off with the porg. Um, because I'm a Star Wars nerd, 
And uh, Michael Reynolds left a comment on your, I think it was your Facebook wall saying, um, because I have a toy Porg now for Star Wars fans, and he sings and dances and does other things. So I post pictures of him, and uh, I just thought I'd lead off the show with the Porg making his Porg noises, because he's going to be huge. Huge, I tell you, when The Last Jedi comes out. Um, thanks for that glowing introduction, Tim. Hopefully you can hear me. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I, I'm just cool. taken aback by the Porg. Is that the thing that looks oh, like a yeah. seal in the commercial? Yeah, it's sort of – it has a little bit of seal in them, but I think it's – that sounds wrong. Um, but I think it's mostly – it's a very nice – Kissed by a rose. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's sort of a bird kind of thing, like a plover or something like that, with sharp teeth and, and things. Very cute, huge. They're, the, they're what the Ewoks should have been. So, um, so yeah, I, I've just fallen in love with them, even though I haven't even seen the movie yet. I've just seen them for like half a second in the trailers. But I love them already. Um, thanks for having me on the show. I, uh, 2006, wow. I was like still in my 30s. I know. Holy moly. And so like now well, let's I'm put it in perspective for you. I, I was looking at that first episode we did, and it was uh, at the very end of like the write-up. It says... Uh, and then to close it out, we talk a little bit about Paul's up, some new project Paul's working on, uh, UFOs, uh, ten top ten best evidence. Yeah, so that was that was uh, when that was in 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 the concept stage, I guess. That that seems like <clears throat> seems like such a long time ago because it is. Frankly, uh, part of me is still is surprised I'm still alive to be uh, doing this show because um, you just never know what's going to happen. The The interesting thing for me is uh, when I look back on it, two things sort of stand out to me in our relationship over the years. I mean, there's, there's so many things, most of which we can't talk about in public. But one of them <laughs> was I was doing a blog back then called, that was when I was doing my other side of Truth Blog, and I remember I put up a column, I don't know, might have been 2005, 2006, and I said the top 10 young people, and I used young in quotation marks because I included Nick Redfern, who you know wasn't all that young. He was about 40 or 41. But let's just say people not as old as Stan Friedman. Yeah, that's ufology the kind young. Of thing, who will, ufology young. Right, ufology young, I like that. Who will shape ufology in the years to come. And so like Pope was at number three, and I think Redfern was number two or one or something like that. Greg Bishop was in there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I had you at number nine. We'd never met. We'd never talked. Uh, we'd interacted, I think, a couple times. But I remember offending. I mean, I offended Alfred Lemberg on a regular basis without even trying. But this really offended him because I wrote, Tim Benal is a marketing genius who will take ufology into the 21st century because he's putting his face on underwear because you were selling every, you had merchandise, like literally everything. I think you even really did have underwear. And I said, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I said, I thought this was awesome, but uh, Alfred Lemberg thought that I was um, slighting you somehow. And I said, I don't know how I could be slighting him. I put him on my top 10 list. I just, this is one of the things he does. And nobody was doing podcasts back then. Like this was an unheard of kind of medium uh, at, in its very infancy. And so I said, this guy's on the cutting edge of this podcasting thing and who knows how long it's going to last, but he's interviewing people that people want to hear. And, um, 
and he's on the cutting edge of his of ufological merchandising thing uh, stuff. So I, I mean, I'm just shocked that like Steve Bassett's face never wound up on underwear uh, over the years. He should he could have learned something from you. Uh, I don't know how that didn't become a thing within ufology. Um, and the other thing that stands <laughs> out to me is you and I in a bar again. That's not really narrowing it down. In 2007, when you were up here for the Oak Island thing, yeah, uh, it was Oak Island days. And before we went down to Oak Island with uh, uh, Chris McBride, who's the narrator, best evidence, and Annie Briggs, a friend and actress of mine, we had a and Graham Sims, right? We had a really good time down there. Tim and I went out drinking one night, <clears throat> and there's very little I can tell about that evening. Especially, I almost got us by us. I mean me. Uh, uh, kicked out of the office building where my office was. That's a long story. But yeah, you, yeah. Were, you were in the process as we were drinking of, <clears throat> and excuse me, folks, if I cough every now and then, it's because I'm getting over a cold. Sorry about that. But no, I have fond memories of you telling me that you were fed up with you know doing the podcast and you thought, you know, I'm going to, I don't know, Kimball, like, uh, I, I don't think I can do the same more. I mean, who, what am I, who am I going to talk to? I've talked to everyone I want to talk to, and blah, it's not fun anymore. And I thought, wow, this guy seems really depressed by it all. I can't imagine that this is going to go on much longer. And here we are, 10 years Well, in later. my defense, my and, father had just died like three months earlier. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was and, a very dark, and, that was a dark summer for me. Yeah, and I'm not knocking. I'm just saying, like, this is not a knock on you, but here we are 10 years later. You persevered, and you continued to turn out quality programming and occasionally programming with me on it. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice <laughs> to be here as you kind of wrap it all up. I'm honored. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. Like I said, you've been a huge booster of this show. And, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I remember that conversation. I think it was like I was trying to ease my way out of this, in a sense, Um which I guess I did kind of, um, you know, because I really kind of took, like, last year almost entirely off. So it's like this last season is sort of a, a final celebration of uh, of what we've done over the years. You know what I mean? And and that's why it's like somebody on somebody on Facebook who clearly doesn't follow the show was like, you need to diversify your guests. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, dude, I got, like, eight shows left. Let's Let's start bringing in. Let's start bringing in people I've never talked to before. Like, get the fuck out of here, man. Diversify your guests. I mean, I don't want to know there are people who listen to your show who hate me, so I don't want to add to that list. But in terms of diversifying your guests, your show probably, of all the podcasts, has the most diverse guest list you can find. Like many shows, um, you know, the Paracast, for instance, focuses primarily on UFOs. And and there are a lot of UFO podcasts out there. And maybe there's some of those shows who think... You kind of do them all. So you've had Bigfoot people on, you've had ghost people on, you've had UFO people on, you've got Rucks giving, you would have Jim Mars on talking conspiracies. So you are like the potpourri of, um, of, of not, I was going to say paranormal, esoteric. You are the king of esoterica, and you have been for oh, like man, 10 or thanks. 11 years. Yeah, so it's not thanks, just a man. paranormal show, and I think people over the years have kind of gotten that wrong. Uh, Tim Benali does a paranormal podcast. Yeah, a lot of times it's paranormal. Other times it's talking about stuff that's not paranormal. It's more conspiracy-oriented or whatever. So, um, yeah, you uh, you know what? Bad on me. At number nine, I underranked you back then. I should have had you in the top five. Um, so if I could travel back in time and tell my younger self, hey, he's not just underwear. He's, he's not just a guy with his face on underwear. This guy, is, he's he's 
going somewhere. Put him in like number four or something. Well, there you go. If we if we if we adjust for what's that like? Uh, if we adjust for like uh, age inflation for ufology, and like I said, he's old, old ufology old. If we adjust for normal age, I probably would move <laughs> move up to four or something anyway. So, <laughs> but well, yeah, and, yeah, you know. I, you know I, I one of my favorite shows I ever did was the uh, the Rum Springer episode. I think I think it might have been you that was talked about it a few times with me. But it's uh, you know the the one about Amish teenagers going off to experience uh, the English world or whatever they call it. You know, and it was like it had nothing did, to do with the paranormal, but it was like so fascinating to me. Did you do an episode on? Um, and maybe I've, I I don't think I'm mistaken this, but I might have. It might have been a coast to coast episode for all I know, and I'm mixing them up. Did you do an episode on spontaneous combustion once? Or am I thinking yeah, yeah, something else? Yeah. Yeah, that's why. No, I, I definitely yeah. did. Yeah, well, well, I mean, one of my too. goals all along, and I think I, I only did the one show. Um, I think I nailed it. That's kind of why I feel content in a sense, sort of wrapping things up. Is uh, I mean, I'm sure, like, okay, yeah, maybe I didn't do like one a show on a specific UFO case or something like that. But like, if you look back on it, you can pretty much hit every. I pretty much did every topic you could do in the paranormal, you know what I mean? I tried to do like an encyclopedic type show where it's like we did a spontaneous human combustion show. We did Amelia Earhart. We did, you know, Bermuda Triangle. We did Jack the Ripper. We did like every possible, you know, I think I might have missed like the Zodiac Killer. Like that's how deep you have to go to really find something that we didn't get into on the show over the years. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, I've started and stopped my own podcast over the years. I'll do three here, two there, whatever. And I don't think people maybe realize how, I mean, hard it is to find people to interview, to get yourself up for interviewing, to do the research. I mean, a lot of podcasts don't even bother to do the research. They kind of let the guests carry it. You, you know, you and I have had some uh, interesting conversations over the years, uh, often where we'll disagree. I remember that it's kind of like, this is your life. This is, I like this show. I but know, I know. I was thinking I re- that. I remember when I was on talking about my book a couple of years ago, and I literally frightened you somewhere on the episode. Yes. You're like, stop it. Yes. You're scaring me. Because I was talking about how after death, we would all meld into this great link, like in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And you were like, no, I want to retain my individuality. And I said, well, I don't think it works that way, Tim. And you're like, no, stop it. You're scaring me. And I thought, well, this is fun. You know, this, this is, you don't hear this on many. I did a ton of interviews for that, um, that book on podcasts and radios. I was even on Coast to Coast. And, um, you know, I, I, never had, I didn't have that kind of visceral interaction with a host where you're you're not just doing a hey this is an interview it's um you know it's like yeah we're having a conversation here and it's going in really weird places greg bishop he's the only other one i would have a conversation with that uh, like that with um but i never frightened greg you were the only one that i actually was like stop it stop it uh, and i just kept going yeah i so. actually mentioned that exchange uh Back in uh, last month when I had Red Pill Junkie on, because we were sort of talking about that, that idea of like when you die, you assimilate into like a, a hive, you know, and it's like, do you retain the person? You know, we got into all that. It was like, I re- it was like, it was like PTSD for me. I was like, I was like, oh no, I don't want to even think about this stuff, dude. Like, what well, I want to retain my my myself. And you know, Red Pill was like, what what is self? I'm like, oh, Jesus, no. <laughs> You're worse than Gimbal. What is self? Oh, well, man. Well, just 
Yeah, yeah. It, well, it was fun. And like I've said to lots and lots of people, you know, just because we're wrapping up, this is just the end of the seasonal format. I mean, I don't plan on, like, finishing season 10 and then being, like, like a pro wrestler and turning around and going, now I'm back under a mask with a new name. You know what I mean? I'm not going to do anything stupid like that. Um, that would be awesome. You know, but I'll yeah, be back I, in I some form pay. or fashion. I would pay to see you do a show with a mask on. That would be – and Red Pill Junkie is your guest without a mask on. That would be awesome. There you go. You're like the anti-luchador of uh, paranormal podcasting. So just think about it. In 2006, when I was first on, if I had told you that the last time I'm going to be on your show in its current incarnation, the Chicago Cubs will have won the World Series and Donald Trump will be president of the United States, <laughs> you would have said, I'm never having this guy on the show again. He's crazy. But here we are. Yeah, yeah. And to throw a little and to throw a classic dig in at the UFO uh subject. If you had told me those two things and that UFOs had landed and asked me which of the three three would be uh that I didn't believe, I probably wouldn't have guessed the <laughs> that we still wouldn't have the UFOs. It's like what, the Cubs won the World Series, Donald Trump is the president, and the UFOs are still not here? Like what's it gonna take, man? What's it gonna I know. take? Stephen Bassett had. And you could replace that with like anything, Bigfoot, whatever. It's like, yeah. It's like Bassett had like the completely crazy stuff. It 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 should have yeah, been like yeah. you know, he would have made more money gambling on Trump as president than he would you know betting on UFOs landing on the White House lawn. So it's it's that's what happens when pe- they turned on the Large Hadron Collider. We slipped into an alternate universe and we just haven't realized it yet. Yeah, it's that Berenstein Bears effect, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, well, like I never did a show on that one either. Yeah, <laughs> we're in a <laughs> we're in a bad episode of Sliders with Jerry O'Connell, or it was Jerry O'Connell, I think. Yeah. So anyway, um, there you go. Folks are like, oh, I can't believe it. These are like two old people reminiscing about the past, uh, which is exactly what we've become. So there you go. That'll be the rest of the show. Yeah, hey man, they they know what they're they know what to expect. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get the new series now, Haunted. Yes. Is that thing again, Haunted? Yeah. Is this what what? How did you end up deciding to? Is it the same? I, I could have sworn the, the series had a different name before, right? Wasn't it Haunted Maritimes or something? No, the old series was called Ghost Cases, and okay, um, that's what I thought. All right. Yeah, and I did that with a partner, and he and I split up, uh, and he kept the rights to it. So I still wanted to do a – well, you know what? It was eight years, so I never thought I'd do another ghost show, to be um, honest. In fact, I never thought I'd do another paranormal show at all. I moved into feature films, and was um, it became reasonably successful. My last feature film a year ago had a festival run of 65, 70 festivals we got in and won multiple awards and stuff, so I was doing fine. But then this opportunity to do a ghost show landed my lap, and actually I have pro wrestling to thank for it, So, um, which is a weird story in and of itself. But when the opportunity to pitch a network on the ghost show came about because I was in talking to them about a pro wrestling series that we all sort of agreed we weren't going to become involved in, but I said, while I'm here, you know, good to see you again, and... Um, you know, well, how would I, I, I wouldn't, maybe a ghost show. They went, would it be you and Holly? And I said, uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. And they went, well, fine, <laughs> yeah. we'll take you and Holly. 
And Holly was living out in British Columbia, so I had to send her an email when I got home and said, hey, Holly, would you be willing to move back to Nova Scotia uh, with your boyfriend and uh, do another ghost show with me? Uh, please say yes. And, uh, and so she said yes, and you know, uh, off we went. And so we're just wrapping up the post-production on season one. It's airing. Actually, there was an episode, the eighth episode in the first season aired uh, nine, sorry, 8.30 your time. So I was finishing watching it to make sure nothing went wrong as they aired it. Um, just as I called you, just, you know, here, here we go with this. So we've been renewed for a second season, <laughs> and uh, and they tell me nice. it would be good for a third uh, third season, too. So, um, so I'll be busy ghost hunting or investigating or whatever for the next year or so. Full-time gig. Weird. Yeah, hey, if you can get a full-time gig in the paranormal, go for it. They're few and far between, but uh, they're, they're, worth, they're worth it. Um, yeah. Now, what channel, how does this work up there? What channel is that on? And how come they don't just bring it, how come they can't just get it out here in America? It's on a, um, it's on a regional channel called Eastlink TV up here in Canada. So it airs first in the Atlantic Canadian region. And it's like Netflix. You have, they're a cable company. So there's two cable right. providers, Eastlink East and Link. another one I won't name, because um, I work there for Eastlink. There you go, Link. good. And, exactly. um, and so it's kind of like Netflix. Style. Exactly, man. Like, they're, they're the TNA and we're the WWE. Um, yeah, they're not even TNA. So you subscribe to Eastlink, and about half the people in the Atlantic region do, then they get it, and the subscribers to the other channel don't. So it's like Netflix in that sense. You have to be a subscriber. Um, right. It'll eventually wind its way across Canada because they have affiliates in Alberta and Ontario and BC and a couple other provinces. But we'll be getting it up on iTunes next year. Probably we're looking at February or March, I think. Um, it won't be available in Canada uh, because Eastlink is it's exclusive to them in Canada, so we'll be geo-blocking it in Canada. But if you live in the rest of the world then you'll be able to uh, watch it on iTunes. And, and at some point, probably, at, like, you can watch Ghost Cases. It's up on Amazon Prime, I think, and has been for a couple of years. So, uh, so yeah, people in the U.S. or elsewhere will be able to watch Haunted uh, sometimes probably late winter of 2018. Well, you need to what I want you to do. Okay. <laughs> that sounds ominous. <laughs> You need. I want you to tap into this. <laughs> you got to tap into this, into the, uh, into the ghost-like community stream, in a sense. I want to see you sort of like embed yourself into this, because as I was asking you, like, oh, what channels are on? Shit, it's like, how come, how come I hear about all these events? How come I never see Paul at any of these ghost events? Because they don't know about the series yet. So I hope that uh, I want you to be appearing like in Biloxi at go at you know at Scarefest. With uh, the the various ghost people, I think it would be fascinating to hear about. Well, um, if you want to become my manager and book those gigs for me, sure. Um, but remember, <laughs> I'll try. Remember I how, can try. Remember how successful I was at getting invited to UFO conferences over the years. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly, well, they're a more welcoming group over enough, there in the ghost world. Yeah. Well, yeah, and weirdly enough, I would probably. I would probably play better in the ghost world because um, in the UFO world, I developed uh, a reputation as a bit of a skeptic. And uh, I certainly am when it comes to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. So 
if you're not on board with the ETH, you're immediately in terms of like about 90% of all UFO conferences. They're, they don't care. They don't yeah. want to hear from you. So that's fine. The ghost thing is different. While I offer different theories for the ghosts, then, hey, it's your dead grandmother. Uh, come back to haunt your house or something. I don't say none of this happens. In fact, because I'm taking a much more experiential point of view where I'm actually out, as they say, quotation marks, in the field, investigating uh, house and, and location after location after location. Um, yeah, you know, weirdly enough, I would be well suited to do those kind of gigs. So if anyone's listening and they want to invite me, I'm easy to find on the Internet. And I'd, I'd actually that would be fun. I'd enjoy because, as you know, I've done the East Coast Paraconference up here for the last three years, and I really like it. I like going and talking about these experiences a lot more than I ever enjoyed talking about UFOs, which I did. I went to some conferences and would do the top 10 UFO list or whatever. And, and you know, it's, it's okay. But UFOs for me um, was always really kind of a job mixed in with a bit of a hobby. Uh, and that's yeah. fine. But the, the ghost thing is much more personal for me. And, um, and, and some of that has Even to be Even though it is a job. That, right. So I'm lucky I get paid for it, but uh, it's it's something that you can do. So you can, unless you're Stephen Greer and you think you can go sit in the desert and make contact with space aliens, um, right, there's not right, yeah. there's not really a lot you can do in terms of in getting out and experiencing UFOs. You can't. I don't believe you can call them down wherever they're from. Yeah, they're, if space aliens. I, weirdly enough, as we've talked about in past shows, I do believe that UFOs and ghosts and all this stuff it, is probably related. So what I'm experiencing with ghosts, in quotation marks, might be what somebody else experiences with UFOs. So maybe in that sense you can call them down. But with the ghost thing, I can yeah. walk into a haunted house or a haunted museum. You've done it too. Two of the locations. Yeah, I've been on several ghost hunts now. Yeah, and two of the locations we used in season one They're of great. Haunted. <laughs> uh, you've been you've been to you've been to the uh, Astor Theater in Liverpool twice, and I think you were at the yeah Coons that County was the Museum. premiere of the of the right. show, which was awesome because our our friend Linda Rafuse was uh, was was the main uh, person you know she was she yeah. was the the face of, of of the museum. Yep, and you know I took the opportunity in that episode to uh, try and make contact with Mac Tonys because he and I used to joke. Uh, which is really kind of dark humor now, given what happened, Mac passing away so young. Um, but we used to joke that we'd do a Harry Houdini thing, like whichever one of us went first, uh, come back and talk to the other one, make contact somehow. Well, I, you know, I always thought it would be me because I was 10 years older than him, and uh, he seemed like he was in better health anyway, and it didn't work out that way. But So I had the opportunity. I said, hey, first time back doing a ghost series because he died just a couple weeks after ghost cases premiered back in 2009. And we only did one season. So I never got a chance to go do a second season where I could try and contact him. So I said, Hey, here's the first opportunity I've had to talk to Mac Tony's. If there is, if he is out there, I'm going to try and do that. And weirdness ensues immediately. Like literally, I think you've seen the episode as soon as I, I have seen the episode. Name, stuff that seems linked to him starts to happen. And that I have to admit, you know, that was my first night back at it. And it's like, wow, okay, is this what this ride's going to be like? And it turns out that episode is, or those two episodes, because each um, location has a two episode cliffhanger. So 
there's, you know, part one goes, and then, hey, next week you'll see how this all, you know, does Paul get eaten by a demon or something? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, okay, and yeah, I wasn't sure what getting, that formatting was. Yeah, so every, we did six locations, six in the first season, or seven, seven, sorry. And um, so each is a two-parter. The episodes are half an hour long. And uh, so really an hour in full, but we cut him in the right, middle right. and say, here's your, here's your cliffhanger. And we don't know what's going like to happen that, next yeah. week. Dun, dun, dun. And then the 13th yeah. episode of the season, cause they go 13 will be a season ending cliffhanger that comes out, I think in the first week in January. And it's like, <laughs> well, you know, clearly I'm still alive. So none of us died, but what happens? Well, okay. Stay tuned. Because in a month we'll be starting season two, and you'll see whether Paul and Holly get killed by a demon or something. And when folks think I'm joking when I say demons, uh, turns out you know maybe I'm not joking. Um, and, yeah. And the, so the, the show, and I named the show Haunted because even going in, Holly and I were still haunted, literally uh, and figuratively, more figuratively, I think by what had happened to us eight years ago. Like some of the experiences we'd had, we, we had never fully rationalized them. So the show yeah. actually, unlike a lot of ghost shows, is much more about us, or it's as much about us as it is the places we go and our journey. And, the, you know, the places we go might be haunted, uh, and we might be haunted. And we came to the idea yeah. that as we were going along, you know, maybe we were taking, we joked, somebody told us one of the places we were going into, the stories were all fake, that the locals had made them all up, you know, kind of thing. And uh, we just looked in, at each other and said, well, that's cool. If there aren't any ghosts in there when we get there, we're pretty sure we're, we have a few that we can leave behind that are traveling with us. So that's cool. We'll, we'll leave some ghosts for you people. And uh, that wound up being one of the most interesting uh, and exciting and scary locations that we we went to, so yeah, it was a real roller coaster ride, and um, uh, I can't wait to get out and do it again. Yeah, it sounds it sounds uh, pretty awesome, actually. You know, I was talking with uh, with Go Rightly because I'm in a movie with Go Rightly uh, that's coming out next year. I have a tiny role, but I'm in a movie. Um, and the Hill and the Hole coming out next year, folks. Um, and I was telling him I was really blown away because I only did like one scene one night. I was like, a, I have a, I have a, I have a name, but I'm <laughs> and one line I think. So, but at least I got a name. Um, uh, but uh, so I was there one night and I kind of experienced the filmmaking process for the first time, like since I was a, since I was just a little asshole in, in college when I had took like film classes. It was completely that that was like almost. 20 years ago, so it was completely different. Um, but what amazed me beyond the technical part of it was uh, something that I did notice from back then. It's sort of like this camaraderie and and sort of like, um, you know, it's like a rock rock band together or something like that. It's like it's a very intimate group of people making this, this uh, you know, this, this product or whatever, this film or in this case TV show. And, it, and it's really a cool sort of like uh, – group dynamic in this, this like small tight knit little uh, like almost like a family. Mhm. Yeah. So every every film crew is like that. The good ones are like that. The bad ones they're still like a family but um you know, a feuding family. 
kind of thing. So, yeah, like ready to go back uh, home from the holidays, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to kill you, and after you're dead, I'm going to steal the money from the inheritance from all my other brothers and sisters kind of family. Some of those film crews exist, but I've never worked on one of those. I've I've always been lucky to be surrounded by talented people who are also good people, and um, and we enjoy each other's company. So the director, Dylan and Chelsea, Dylan Garland, our director of photography, Chelsea Camo, our young sound person, and my brother, Jim, who was there as our production manager, they all wind up as um, cast members, really, in Haunted, because they you can't do one of these things and go into these haunted locations and not have something happen to you. And this time, we decided to include everyone. So every now and then, right, right. Dylan will hand... Dylan will hand the camera over to me and I'll start shooting him and I'll say, what are you experiencing right now? It's really cold, Paul kind of thing or whatever. And I'll go, okay, cool. This camera is really heavy. Can you take it back now? But you know, we, we do stuff like that. And <laughs> as the season moved on, we, we started using GoPros more and more and giving everybody and some of the footage, Holly shot some footage on her cell phone. And uh, cause she, there was no camera oh, wow. crew with her. She, she was just wandering through. Uh, particular area of the uh, old Yarmouth jail, which was on tonight, and something happened. She heard a sound, and as she was walking through, she was using, she was just taking a video of the section of the jail that she hadn't been in yet. That she was, she just wanted to take a video of it, and something happened, and so that winds up in the show. I filmed a number of segments for the series on my iPad, just because the the crew was somewhere else and had the camera somewhere else. So I said, well, okay, I'll just use my iPad. And uh, and that led to some cool stuff happening as well. So the great thing about, <clears throat> excuse me, technology now is, you know, you don't need to lug around a massive beta camera with beta tapes like I used to have to do when I was shooting and Friedman is real or any of those old entries. Now with high def, you can go a couple of GoPros and iP- uh, an iPad and a couple of phones and you'd be good to go. Now, we also have, you know, a Blackmagic 4 high def camera or actually two now. So we have that as well, and TV cameras and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, um, what audiences want to see is something happening. And if all you have is a phone camera when something's happening, then use that, which you know brings me to Lance Moody, because I think he's right when he says that the answer to the UFO phenomenon is pocket, a cell phone camera. So there should be more photos and video of UFOs if there really were UFOs flying around out there. And yet there isn't credible video and photos, even though everybody has a camera in their pocket. The interesting thing for us with the ghost thing is we actually have cool evidence and cool video and cool audio that's come from cell phone cameras and iPads. So, and and if we can do it, you would think somebody out there must be getting, that is not third phase of the moon or something, um, getting quality uh, <laughs> cell phone footage or or photos of UFOs, and yet where are they? So that's you know that's Lance's point about why um, the UFO phenomenon is <clears throat> sorry dying or whatever. And if it would ever if they ever were here, they're not here anymore, which is something Carl Flock would have said um, and believed. So I, I find that interesting in my own experience with the ghost thing. Sort of uh, to me at least bears it out because we can use any of these devices. And stuff still happens. But with UFOs, eh, you don't see that stuff. So that, that should be of interest to anyone. It should make them go, hmm, what's that all about? Yeah, that was an interesting pivot. I didn't see, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Um, 
Yeah, well, UFOs, they're just so, they just feel so lame now, you know. They just have this sort of lameness to them that it's like, ugh, you know. And But but in their defense, I guess, you, you I think you kind of mentioned this earlier, unless you're, unless you're Stephen Greer, it's like, and that's in, in quotes, um, you know, you can't, if you go, you're going to a haunted location, you know stuff's happened there before, or at least reportedly, because I guess in that one place where they claimed it was uh, it was all local lore. But right. with UFOs, you, you pretty much it's it's it, it, you're you're at the mercy of the phenomenon there. Yeah, you are, but I think that's true of the ghost thing too. Um, and you know, are our houses and locations really haunted? Maybe. Or are the people that live there the ones that are haunted? And so I, I really like Greg's idea, uh, Greg Bishop's idea of the co-creation. I don't know if it's a hypothesis. Well, I'll call it an hypothesis. The co-creation hypothesis, which is we're integrally uh, involved in creating the interaction between whatever the phenomena is. So. So, as I've said over the years, and as you might recall from your previous shows, you know, it's like a movie theater. Um, you can't actually go see the movie if you don't buy a ticket or you don't subscribe to Netflix. I have to change my analogy because nobody goes to see movies anymore. But, you, you know, you can't actually watch Netflix unless you subscribe to it. If you want to see what's on Netflix, you have to pay to, uh, I assume, I'm, I do it legally anyway. Um, yes. And so, so... But if you and I both subscribe to Netflix, we're both watching something, but you're watching something probably different than I am. I'm probably watching Iron Fist for the third time and going, how could they have made this? And, uh, and I don't know what you're watching, but, you know, but it's that idea that you have to get in there and get involved and open yourself up to whatever the experience is. So in that sense, this is going to sound really weird uh, coming from me. I have some sympathy. Well, sympathy is the wrong word. I, but I'll use it. I have some sympathy with Greer. And it wow. the ideas. Yeah, I know. Not really, because he's a fraud. But the idea that he has, the idea that he is used to lure people in, I don't think is a bad idea. Which is, you sh- you could go out and if there is something out there, make contact with it by opening yourself up to it. Which is what we do with the ghost thing. So if there is some sort of alien intelligence out there from Zeta Reticuli or whatever. I I think it's it's reasonable to assume you could go out in the desert or wherever and open yourself up to contact and if they're really out there um they they could or would contact you that doesn't mean so that's my sympathy with Greer it, and I'm not sympathetic because I think he's using what is a valid idea for um you know illicit purposes uh, whether to form a cult right, or right, make right. money or whatever but the idea itself I I actually think has merit so and that kind of goes back to yeah, the I'd like contact to see these. Somebody try that in a sense. I think uh, Ren Collier mentioned that on the show uh, a few months ago, where it was like, yeah, if you go to the same place, you know, if you create sort of a routine or a ritual uh, out of out of something like that, if you go to the same, like if you go to a field in your house every night for like a month, something's going to happen, possibly, or it's worth trying. Yeah. I guess the idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if anything's going to happen. I, I predict something will happen. <laughs> Some, well, something, you know, in the Trumpian world that we're in, something uh, probably would happen just because we're in an alternate bizarro universe. So this is, if any, if ever anybody was going to try stuff like this, this is the time because clearly we've sit, 
slipped into the twelfth dimension or something. So all bets are off as far as I'm concerned. I'm not kidding, folks. In a world where Donald Trump, if you grew up in the 80s and you're old enough to remember it, and we're living in a world where Donald Trump is president, really, we've jumped the shark so far that we can't even see the water anymore. And that's not meant as a comment on whether he's a good president or not. I mean, clearly he's not. But, you know, I'd stay away from that. Just the fact He's president is crazy that that could have happened. So all to me, it's it's a, even though it, it seems like everybody hates him except people in ufology. Um, but to me, it's a life affirming <laughs> thing because it's like if that racist lunatic can actually become president of the United States. Well, you know what? It's like that little poster of the kitten. You go, little kitten. You can do it. Um, I I sort of said, well, I I can make a television show again then. Sure, I thought I'd never make another one. But now I can do whatever I want. I can do anything because clearly anything's possible. So so thank you, President Trump, for that, even as I've probably just been banned from traveling to the United States for saying you're a racist lunatic. Yeah, I can live with that. Oh, they can't ban everyone. (laughs) So... Wait, I think you'll be wait, okay. Wait for it. Wait for it, Tim. It's coming. Yeah. Um, it'll yeah, be like The exactly. Handmaid's Tale. Who knew that The Handmaid's Tale was a documentary in the, in the making? Yeah. Um, so no, it'll be really know, scary when they won't let us leave. When they when they <laughs> when people are like, "All right, I've had enough. I'm out of here." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you're not leaving America. You're here. You're stuck." Yeah. It, <laughs> it won't be your, it won't be your guys preventing you from leaving. It'll be the rest of us that build a wall. And you know what, folks? I say that with great love and affection for all my American friends. I love the United States. I just I just don't like your current administration, but that, that's all right. Um, but you know, you can see that Aaron Gullius and I did a podcast which I haven't released. Um, so we're delving off into UFOs, but this is just like a scatterbrained, scatterbrained, yeah, that too. But a scattershot approach to our final show together, I guess. Um, we did a podcast uh, two months ago that I haven't released yet, where we talked about the influence of the far right or um, fascism or neo-Nazis on ufology, extending back for decades, and how, in particular, neo-Nazis have used ufology largely because they realize that they're the most gullible people. So if you're looking for people who are going to believe in conspiracies, the first place you want to stop is ufology, which is not to say everybody's interested in UFOs is gullible, but there's a fair number of people that neo-Nazis like Ernst Zundel honed in on early on and said, yeah, we can use this. So a lot of the sort of myths and legends about like um, Nazi flying saucers and bases on the Antarctic and the South Pole came from these neo-Nazi guys who were trying to recruit. There's a great book uh, by a Canadian, Warren Kinsella, called Web of Hate, where he talks about hate groups and, and all that sort of stuff, and he devotes a not insignificant amount of time to talking about Ernst Zundel, famous Holocaust denier here in Canada, who we eventually shipped back to Germany, who began his career as a Holocaust denier and as a neo-Nazi hate monger with UFOs. He ran a UFO zine. And he used the UFO oh, wow. zine to lure people in. So it's one of those un, um, it, it's not really talked about much within ufology, and it's kind of been buried that there has been this um, sort of right wing slant to a lot of it. And when I say right wing, I don't mean George Bush. I mean like you know fascist right wing, way over there. And yet now it seems to be bubbling up again. And some of it that has to do with the Trumpian phenomenon. But when you see guys, so what Aaron and I were talking about in particular was John Ventre, um, yeah. the MUFON guy who, um, I mean, you know, 
go ahead and sue me, John, if you want. The racist uh, at MUFON had an awful Don't lot of sue trouble. Don't sue me. Just sue Paul. Yeah, sue me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, good luck with that, because I'll, I'll, you know, I'll win. Because all I have to do is post your tweets, and <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. But you know, like the fact that MUFON, which I never had a whole lot of respect for in the first place, but I always kind of is, at least assumed they were good people, you know, yeah, like yeah. well-meaning people. And yet this yeah, they were just, guy, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, yeah, yeah. Their intentions are good. Something you say about say about sort of like a moron, you know. Like, right. Well, yes. it's not MUFON, it's a moron, but it's the same thing. It's sort of like, well, his intentions are good. He's just inept and moronic and dumb. That's kind but of how I feel Yeah, exactly. and it turns out not so much. I mean, good for the people who left, but like, how do you not, when that happens, any rational, reasonable organization immediately cuts their ties with this person, disavows them totally, and says, this is not what we're about and we won't tolerate this behavior. Nope, not MUFON. Mufon just goes, well, you know, everybody has their own opinions, and it's all cool, and uh, he donated 5000 bucks or whatever, and, you know. So that's the world of ufology that we, we're sort of wander, we've wandered into and have been for quite a long time, and it's all coming to a head now. So when folks say to me, uh, why do you like doing the ghost stuff so much? I go, well, you know what? I haven't noticed any of that behavior in the ghost world. I'm just saying. Um, like though, you know, there's, there's still crazy people in the ghost thing and, and whatever, but they're all good people. I have not met anybody in the ghost world at all who wants to talk about politics. They just want to talk about ghosts. And that's cool because now in ufology, it all seems to be about politics and not my kind of politics. So that's one of the reasons why I'm less interested in UFOs than I used to be, sadly not much to talk about with UFOs until you get in, then you get into the interpersonal shit and it leads to politics, you know what I mean? It's like, because yeah. the UFOs themselves are boring as shit. They haven't done anything in years. So it's like, it's, we're, we're like, a, well, not us, but, you know, the people, I guess, talking about it, it's like talking about an old band that, has, that hasn't, you know, in like 20 years, it'll be like us talking about Tom Petty. It'll be like, oh, wasn't it great? Wasn't the shit great? You know, it's like Elvis. It's like, like it's gone man it's like there's really nothing you know the ufo phenomenon as we knew it i think is like doesn't exist anymore all right first of all elvis will never be gone and secondly it's it's too soon man it's too soon to be making tom petty jokes it's <laughs> that cut that wasn't deep. a joke that was a <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a joke at all that was i was searching for an analogy so I, I yeah no no i wasn't trying to make light of that at all there we go. I feel better now that I can hear the poor. Uh, that was there you go. that makes me feel better. Um, yeah, you know, like like what's left of ufology? And so you you hear I've heard people complain about Greg, for instance, and I think you and Greg will do these year end UFO wrap up shows or whatever. And you hear folks complain about you and say, God, these guys, they're so bitter. All they do is complain. Well, yeah, but that's because all that there is is you know stuff to complain about. And I used to try and say, this is crazy. Like, if you want to believe in space aliens, that should be fun. That should be really fun and wild and crazy and whacked out. And, you know, like, just it's like watching Thor Ragnarok. Think of all the strange things or Doctor Strange. Just imagine it's like a Steve Ditko kind of comic book or something with some really psychedelic, trippy stuff. Who knows what aliens are like? Who knows? But, like, let's really let's expand the outer limits. 
of, of our mind and think about what this could be. And somehow, over the last 20, 30 years, because of conspiracism and all that sort of stuff, they've turned it into a really bad episode of The X-Files. Not one of the good ones, but a bad one, where it's like, oh, right. okay. Oh, now we have to have the citizens hearing on UFOs. And it's not about lights in the sky. It's about lies on the ground. And I, oh, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Like, you know, aliens are not getting off spaceships and walking up to Dwight Eisenhower and doing a handshake and coming up with a secret treaty with bases with 14 different species or whatever. And I just, stop it. If there are space aliens coming from here, that's A, really cool. And B, it's going to be really freaking weird. And you guys have just taken something that's really interesting and weird and, and should be special and mind-blowing, and you've turned it into the, uh, you know, the paranormal equivalent of gray. Not gray aliens, but literally gray. And it's kind of a really good metaphor that the aliens eventually all basically became gray. <laughs> Um, because it used to be you'd have like all sorts of different types, goblin aliens and giant lizard aliens. Oh, yeah, aliens. yeah. And eventually over the last 25 years, thank you, Whitley Strieber, they've basically all turned into gray. I mean, it's a metaphor for what ufology has become, just this gray sludge of blah. And there are yeah, yeah, exactly. Even the creature itself is completely nondescript fucking little. Yeah. It's like your generic humanoid. It's just a little humanoid. Yep. And so we still really weird stuff. Every time we go out and do the ghost thing, all sorts of crazy weird stuff happens. Fun. Um, I, ha I have fun with UFOs listening to people like Greg and you and Red and uh, a few others talk because they're you know, still willing to have those weirdo conversations. But mainstream ufology, which is a really strange term when I think about it, is um, there's nothing there that interests me in the least because it's not about UFOs. It's just about the people, and uh, most of them, frankly, aren't very nice people anymore. So, um, or very interesting people. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, so I have no interest in yeah. them. So any residual interest I have is, is, is maybe in the phenomena. Right, right. And, I mean, I'll even cop to falling into this mindset myself sometimes, but maybe it's sort of like the mindset that you pick up from the field, but it's like it has in the in the decade plus I've been mixed up in all this it's like has a certain air of like being aggrieved um it's like this sort of like uh it's like always like crying about like sort of like that they're owed something you know yeah and all a lot of the other fields I think all the other fields are kind of like uh you know with the exception of like hardcore conspiracy fields like you know like a 911 or something like that you don't get that vibe from like bigfoot and and ghosts, you know, it's like nobody owes you anything, man. Like you don't. If you want to go and figure it out, go for it. But like nobody owes you the answer about UFOs. But ufology seems to have taken on this this sort of cloak uh, of, of being aggrieved, where it's like you owe yeah. us. You won't tell us. It's not fair. It's like, man, grow up. You're all like sixty year old men. Like like grow up. Like Get a grip. Yeah, Lance and I, Lance Moody, I think makes a lot of good points. And one of the points, I think he did a lecture in Ohio at a skeptics group recently. I think it was Cincinnati, but maybe it was Cleveland. I don't know. And I think the title of his talk was how something along the lines of how UFOs made America stupid or 
um, you know, elected Trump or something like that. And but his, his point was it, that UFOs were part, the conspiracy part of UFOs are part and parcel of the dumbing down of America, because it's just on a whole host of levels that uh, you see now starting to infiltrate into. Uh, political discourse and also the direction your country's headed in. And it's not just your country, it's other countries too. So, you know, things like virulent nationalism, which we thought we had ended after the Second World War, is now um, coming back. And we saw, we started to see it in the Bosnian crisis 20 years ago and in the war, 25 years ago now, in the wars there. But all the sort of social ills that lead to wars and death and destruction, we at least thought in the first world, we had moved beyond that. And it turns out in nature, but some of it too is just a health, a healthy distrust of authority is not a bad thing, but an absolute complete unreasoning distrust of all authority is a bad thing. And I think that's where we have moved to. And within ufology years ago, there used to be a distrust of authority, but it wasn't complete. There was still an idea that, yes, there were people, even at its worst, people who would say there are people within the government who are trying to help us. Um, the government might have, uh, assuming it's space aliens, might have legitimate reasons for covering this up or at least had legitimate reasons. But maybe if we just approach them in a reasonable way now, uh, we can work some sort of deal, blah, 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 whatever. And that was the worst case scenario. Now you're quite right. Everybody is aggrieved about everything and they trust no one. And and like, you know, Chris Carter was right. Trust no one. Everybody took his word. And I, I just think that's that's not a healthy state of affairs. So there are people that, you know, we can trust, especially if we don't have any evidence that they're they're not being honest with us. And uh, the government is not completely untrustworthy. They're not all bad. And uh, to this day, nobody has shown me. This is why your listeners hate me. Nobody has shown me any proof that I could go into a court of law and convince a jury of 12 citizens that there is a massive government conspiracy withholding the truth of the alien presence on planet Earth. And the problem is, to me, Stephen Bassett and his ilk go out and say, yes, we have that evidence. And then they present it, and you know, mainstream people just sort of go, that's crazy. Um, and there was a real opportunity. There still is a real opportunity to have reasonable conversations. I've talked to politicians, scientists about UFOs over the years, and if you're in a room alone with them, they have no problem talking about it. In fact, they're often interested about the idea of alien life, which has become more palatable over the years since you and I would have first talked in 2006. You know, we've discovered exo more and more exoplanets. And most people, I think, most intelligent people, probably think that we're not alone in the universe. The question is whether it's coming here or not. So you can have those conversations. It just makes it, a, it's virtually impossible to have them in polite company anymore about UFOs um, and the idea that maybe something did visit here because the field itself is, has become so toxic and crazy. It's all anybody thinks of is the crazy people. Now with ghosts, totally different. I, I can talk, in fact, some of the people who watch my shows are politicians. Um, I know them. I ran for I ran for office here in Ca in Canada this past year. It was a great year for me. I got married. I got a new television show. Congratulations! And I, ran for, I ran. Thank you. And I ran for elected office, and I lost. But the reason I lost wasn't because I had made documentaries about UFOs or ghosts. Nobody cared. They wanted to talk about health care and stuff. Fine. But every now and then I'd run into somebody who 
didn't want to talk and say, you're a crazy guy who believes in space aliens or something, or you ghost hunter. They would say, what you do is really cool. Like, it's amazing. You get to go to these haunted houses and you get to make films about space aliens and, or whatever. And I went, yeah, it is really cool. Now, back to healthcare. Um, but, it, you know, in the U.S., if you were trying to run and you were a filmmaker who had made uh, documentaries about UFOs and you were the host of a ghost hunting show, I don't know if you could get away with that south of the border. Um, but up here, it wasn't a problem. Um, so anyway, I've rambled on. Sorry, I'm sure you have questions. This is like, sorry, that yeah, was like a where, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Let's yeah, well, the yeah, there's a few different <laughs> ideas cross my mind. Yeah, hit the porg to give us a give us a reset, a mental reset. All right, here we go. There you go. So we're reset now. Awesome. Am, am I going to get sued by Lucas Films or Disney uh, after this episode airs? I I hope so. No, <laughs> I yeah. don't think so. They're selling these things like at you know Toys R Us. There's an entire shelf of them, so I'm I'm pretty sure you're good. There you go. Um, yeah. Well, to be fair to again to be and believe me, I, I'm I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate in a sense. But uh, yeah, again, to be fair to ufology, when you think about it too. It's like you and I, we know all all these people, or we know we're better understanding of the lay of the land uh, when it comes to ufology and stuff, I confess to not really having that much depth of knowledge as far as the characters of these uh, other fields, like cryptozoology, and uh, I have a better, a pretty good understanding of that one, but like ghost hunting and stuff, because I, I see things, I remember telling uh, uh, Greg Newkirk and, and Dana Newkirk when they were on the show, it's like, I, I see these conferences, like I was saying, I want you to be at, at Spooky Fest in Biloxi, and it's like these people I've never heard of, and they're, and they're like, and that's no slight to them because they're they're like presented. It's like wrestling style. It's like a completely. It's like seeing a whole different league. It's like seeing a Japanese league or something. It's like they're presented as the superstars of ghost hunting, and it's like who are, who are these people? So it's like a whole different world. So for all of our, our our, uh, our grousing about ufology, I'm sure the people in in ghost hunting are like they have their own. Uh, issues and stuff like that. I mean, I'm positive of that. Yeah, maybe. In fact, I've run into that a bit. There was a guy who has a ghost hunting or whatever group up here, a professional one, uh, in Nova Scotia. And he um, has quite a large fan base on Facebook, I guess. And Holly and I were members of his group, and I'm not going to name it because I don't want to give him any free publicity. Um, Uh-oh. and it was a closed group. So you had to apply to join. And I think he's got like 15,000 members and I, I guess he takes everyone. But so anyway, Holly and I joined cause we just wanted to, we weren't publicizing our show. I had never posted there at all and neither did she, but he kicked us out. He sought us out and kicked us out because we had a TV show and he didn't. And it's like, and then he, I, somebody told me that he was, um, he had posted something like, Oh, I know those guys. They're not professionals. They cause more trouble than, you know, and so have us in and we'll fix whatever they harm they did. It's like, what? What are you talking about? We just went in and asked if there were any ghosts and did our thing and left. And professional ghost hunter. Are you crazy? And why would you? So, yeah, there is a little bit of that. It's turf wars or whatever. Um, jealousy, was this recently? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, well, you know him. Um, he was a speaker at the para conference last year, not this year, but the year before the really dull guy who had quote, quote, evidence 
So he presented his evidence. You might not have gone to that lecture. Smart move. Um, so he presents his evidence, which Linda Rathews was uh, there, and she just was shaking her head going, that's the best stuff he's got. Like, we get better stuff like that in one investigation, and that's his entire thing. And so, you know, yeah. I had the same reaction when I, I heard it. I said, I, we had better stuff on ghost cases. And if this is what a professional ghost hunter manages to get, what kind of equipment <laughs> are you using? You know, what kind of equipment are you using, by the way, too? Like, that's the audio quality on your recording is terrible. You should invest in a, a Zoom, you know, recorder uh, or something, you know, yeah. higher qualities. So, you know, there, there are some turf wars, but within the TV ghost world, as far as I know, you know, there's no this host hates, hates that host. I kind of like I don't know him personally, but I kind of like Zach Baggins and Ghost Adventures. I'm not really a fan of Ghost Hunters. Never was. It's not personal. It's just a lot of people yeah, don't like Zach my, Baggins. I love him because he's entertaining and he he sort of makes fun of himself, even though he pretends he's not making fun of himself. And the other thing to realize about any of these shows is that, you know, it's entertainment. So what we do is straight. We play it straight. In fact, we were, we were criticized with ghost cases for being dull by some people. They said, Where's, we need more Zach Baggins or whatever. It's like, no, that's not how we roll. Everything you see us do really happened. We're playing it seriously. And if you see something cool and exciting, then that's because it really happened. But I have to admit, as a person watching a TV show, I love ghost adventures. In fact, while we would be out shooting, we would be staying at... Um, Remember once we were in Yarmouth here and we stayed at an old sea captain's mansion and we came back from a night of ghost hunting and we sat down and there was a ghost adventures marathon on one of the cable channels. So we watched about four episodes, Yeah, which, and it was hilarious. We were laughing and going, this is crazy. Stuff like this never really happens, but man, this is good television and it's fun. So no harm, no foul as far as I'm concerned. And if, and if he, every now and then they would actually find something that looks, you know, okay, that looks interesting. I'm not sure you really needed to surround it with all this fluff and excite, you know, excitability stuff and, oh, it's a demon. But, um, whoa, it's possessed by Alex Jones there for a second. It's a demon. Um, oh, Jesus, you turn on the fish gay? Yeah, the fish are turning gay. Um, the frogs, you know, frogs. You know I'm the, sorry, Alex. I'm frog. sorry. I think it was frogs, yeah. And the, the it was frogs, is, you yeah, know, yeah. While we're on the subject of Alex Jones, I actually watch Alex oh, Jones every now and then just for entertainment, like to see, first of all, if his head's going to explode. You know who else I like? I'm, I will admit this. I like watching David Icke. Um, I, I love part David of me Icke. Think, I love yeah, David Icke. Me, I have no problems with David Icke. It's just a Swiftian, like he's in on the joke and he's actually doesn't really believe any of what he's saying. He's using it as social criticism. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard that floated as a theory. Maybe it's true. I even like, I even like Greer. Like, you know what? At the end of the day, if people are dumb enough to give them their money and, or, or whatever, even if it's not dumb, they feel like they're getting something out of it. Ah, I'm okay with that. Uh, Greer is entertaining. I've seen him speak live in person. I've watched him on his documentaries. He's entertaining. So as long as you don't take it too seriously, between, let me ask you this question, Tim, because you, you're familiar with both of them. Would you rather <laughs> attend a lecture by Stephen Greer or, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of a, a, a good, good example, uh, Jerry Clark? who is a fine UFO researcher, has been for 40 years. Uh, and he's not the dullest one either. It's just the one that I could think of. But, you know, he's not the most latent speaker. 
So is it Jerry Clark or Stephen Greer? Easy. I'll go uh, buy obviously Clark's. Stephen Greer, yeah. Yeah, I'll buy Clark's book, but I'll go pay to see Stephen Greer speak. And, um, you know, that's kind of like saying I'll buy a rare album. I'll go see a punk play because, you know, the visceral experience of live music, you know, I really want to like and uh, that's kind of what I look at the ufology thing like. Punk rock, he's entertaining live. I, I couldn't read his books. Clark, less entertaining live, but his books are worth reading. So everybody has their, their role to play. Oh, my God, I just said something nice about Stephen Greer. Whoa. Yeah, you so say you like him. Do you, you hit so many fucking things that I, I, I probably lost like half the points I, I, was, I thought of while you were talking because I don't want to interrupt you because I'm a polite and host and a wonderful person, my mom tells me. Uh, but uh, I think I missed the guy presenting mom, the evidence because I was out getting. Thank you. Uh, I think I missed. I think I missed the guy with the ghost evidence because I was out on on a quest for growlers, probably uh, in Liverpool. But to me, it's like you say that he kicked you. <laughs> he's he's part of a professional group and kicked you guys out. And it's like, aren't you the ones who are getting paid to do this shit? Like this, I'm sure. I, does this he means by professional uh, that like what they're serious? It's like this guy's not. He's not. He's not a paid ghost hunter, right? <laughs> uh, not as far as I know. I, I honestly don't know if they get paid to do investigations. I hope not. Nobody should ever pay. Like we don't get paid by the places we go to. Uh, we I would never charge somebody who has a house or a museum or whatever. I wouldn't say, hey, look, give us 300 bucks and we'll come investigate your house. No, no. We, I get paid by way of making the television show. Uh, so right, right. We, yeah. go, we go and do these for free. So, uh, you know, like in the sense of the people who own the houses or whatever don't have to pay us at all. They just have to put up with us for 12 hours. Um, I guess does it's, he get paid? it's sort of splitting hairs, I, I but it's like it's, it's just kind of like – Unless your fucking job is to be a ghost hunter, don't call yourself a professional ghost hunter. That's all. I, I agree. That's all I ask. You know, because yeah. you're fucking not. <laughs> that's it. I don't care how you make the money. You know, if you go in the houses, if you're the psychic realtor, that's fine with me. You know, you, and, and you and you make a fine living doing it, then you're a professional ghost hunter. But if you're if it's just because you, you know, think you have the latest little gadget, and you take it seriously. Um, that doesn't make you a professional ghost hunter. <laughs> yeah, this is the this is the Tim I know and love. Yeah, your voice raised there. You got a little cranky. I like it. Um, yeah, no, there's no such thing as a professional. There's no such thing as a professional ghost hunter. I mean, seriously, there isn't. There are people who are, and this is why I love the ghost investigating thing. And I tell everyone, I and and when he kicked us out of his group, I think I posted something like, you know what? The great thing about ghost investigating is. Holly and I just went to the Queens County Museum. Here's the fun thing. Any can do the exact same. You'll meet a nice lady who's there who runs them. If you say we're interested in ghosts, your ears um, in a good way because she's interested and she investigates ghosts and everything too down there. And then if she says, we saw, if you say to her, we saw the show Haunted that you were on. And these guys investigated this room over here. Do you think we could go in there? I'm sure Linda would say yes. The The point is that you can go to many of these places we go to, not a private home, of course, but any of these public places you can probably go to, uh, like the Astor Theater in Liverpool, and uh, and try and experience what we experienced. 
That's the great thing. So it's a very dem- the, the thing about the ghost thing is it's very democratic. Any of us can buy this ticket. You can do it in your own home. There's so many haunted homes, in quotation marks, in Nova Scotia alone, and I'm sure in Maine and throughout New England, actually everywhere, that uh, you, you won't have any trouble finding a place to go. So then it's, okay, how do you become a professional ghost hunter? Well, uh, I don't really know, because either you ask somebody to pay you to go do those things, or you, you kind of try and differentiate yourself by saying, well, we take it seriously. We know how to use the K2 meter, and we know how to use the ghost box and what it's for. And, you know, Paul right. and Holly don't. Well, you know what? First of all, as I was quoted as saying in a recent episode uh, about a REM pod, you know, the instruction manual for the REM pod is two pages long. And half of that was in Spanish. So it's one page in English. We're not dealing with technology that's coming from MIT here. So, and, and this idea that these tools are ghost detectors. No, they're not. Are you crazy? They're not ghost detectors. What they, so you can't point it at a wall and go, is there a ghost like, you know, a, 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 a something that measures radiation? Beep, 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 beep. Is there a ghost here? No. What these things, if they do anything, can do is they allow – so you don't control the relationship. So you can throw your professionalism out the window because none of that matters. What matters is if there's something on the other side and it wants to contact you. So here's an interesting question for you, Tim. I'd be curious what your answer is. Two people walk into an allegedly haunted location. One of them is the guy that kicked us out of the group. And the other one is Holly, or me. Let's say Holly, because Holly's nicer. So uh, we'll call this guy Earl, because that's his real name. And Holly, walk into this haunted house. And you're a ghost, or whatever it is, a non-human intelligence, whatever the force, the entity is on the other side. And so you can make contact with one of these two people. You can make contact with both of them if you wanted to. But, you, you know, which one do you want to make contact with first? So here's Earl. Earl walks in. All right, I'm a professional ghost uh, hunter, and I know you're this. I know what you are. You're the spirit of uh, Bob, who used to live here, and uh, I've got my device here, uh, the K2 meter, which will detect you. And um, yes, I'm now detecting. And the ghost, I go. God, this guy is dull. Why would I want to talk to him? Ugh. Then Holly walks in and goes, "Hello, I'm approaching." Uh, entity that might be here with open arms and I would like to have a conversation with you. I'm more interested in hearing uh, what you have to say. Please communicate with me in any way that you can. And this is usually how Holly does it. And I'm thinking if I'm the ghost, well, she seems nice and she seems open-minded right. and she's not as she doesn't have all these like, like, yeah, gadgets and shit, she doesn't, you know? Yeah. So one guy, Earl, you know what he's got? He's got the answers. And you know what Holly's got? She's got questions. So if you're the ghost or whatever the is, I, I just have to believe, and I can guarantee you from personal experience, they want to talk to the person who has questions, the person who's coming to them and saying, you are this. Uh, uh, no, no, I'm not. I know what I am. I'm a demon from the fourth level of hell, you little jerk. Uh, I am, I'm literally going to eat your soul later tonight, dumbass. Oh, Meanwhile, Holly, you seem nice. I'm, I'm not going to eat your soul at all. Uh, do you have any questions? I'd be happy to answer them. You know, how do I get from the fourth level to the fifth level? I don't know. That's a good question, though. So, yeah, you know, that's <laughs> what I think of. That's what I think of professional 
ghost hunters. Uh, and I hate the term ghost hunter, too. You're, you can be a ghost investigator or a ghost experiencer or a ghost adventurer if you want. Um, or perhaps maybe just a person, to paraphrase the old police song, seeking no- I come here seeking knowledge. And if there's an entity of some sort here that could maybe give me a, 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 an insight into the human condition or into what might be out there for us beyond or any of those things, I'd be interested in talking to you or hearing from you. And, uh, and then you open yourself up to it. And I guarantee you, you'll get a better reaction than if you walk in with a ton of gear. And we use the gear, too, because it's television. We have K2 meters and stuff. But we understand what they're for. They're opportunities for whatever might be out there to make themselves known to us on their timetable, on their schedule, when they want to, and how they want to. And we are not in control. They are. And as soon as you understand that, then you're good to go. The problem is Earl doesn't really understand that. So I'm kind of glad he kicked this out. Well, exactly. I think we hit, yeah. <laughs> although apparent, <laughs> We've although beaten apparently on Earl. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, well, no, it, well yeah, Earl's, I mean. He's a symptom of a lot of people like that. And. You know, the good ghost investigators, like there were a couple of folks, you met them, um, from the St. John, the Loyalist Paranormal Society. I think that's their name, from St. John, New Brunswick. Uh, They're great. They come to the para-conference every year, and they're very open-minded and friendly and everything, and they uh, use the approach that I was talking about Hollywood use. Awesome. Those are the kind of people that you want to hang out with. And, uh, And they... I you know view themselves as much of like amateurs I guess if you will as we do just people seeking knowledge and that's that's those are the people that you want to hang out with right right exactly yeah well again not to belabor the point and it sounds kind of petty but again it's like it's not, it, I sound like an asshole but I'll say you know it's like if you're not you don't necessarily have to be in this to make money, but if you're not making money, then you're not a professional. <laughs> it irritates me so much. It's like you just you just make up these terms and shit. It's like get out of here with that shit. Uh, to jump off of a point you made earlier about how much you love Stephen Greer. Um, what? See what I did there? I took that and just sort of like amplified it to the. <laughs> oh, that, that was it. Larry Bird like pivot. There you go. Um, and those guys, it, it, it reminds me of sort of something I've said on the show on multiple occasions. Uh, I, I, I should come up with a clever theory name for it like everybody else, but it's just, and, and you can imagine why it hasn't been presented at any conferences because it's just the general idea that it's like, if you have a fucking problem with ufology, the the less the problem is the the stars and stuff and the people like the Stephen Greers and, and if, if you don't like David Icke, David Icke, and the people that are, like, vilified. It's the audience, man. It's like mm-hmm. the, it's a consumer-driven thing. So turn the mirror around or whatever. You know, look at that. But <laughs> it's not something you really want to say at a UFO conference where it's like, if you're pissed that the UFO field's gone astray, look in the fucking mirror, man. Like, you know, the consumers are the problem. And if people if people take more responsibility of what they consume, then you know we can have a better world of UFO research and all that other stuff. You know, support quality yeah. shit and don't. You know. Yeah, I, I agree. The problem is ufology. Well, it's not a problem, but it's just a sad fact. Ufology doesn't matter. Probably never did. 
but it I guess it matters to the people who are in it, but it's such a small click in the greater society as a whole. Stephen Bassett, Stephen Greer. I mean, I can go down the list, and I can include serious ufologists like Jerry Clark too. None of them matter. None of them. Their their social impact is nil. Stan oh, Friedman, yeah, yeah, yeah. May, yeah, maybe had a bit of an impact, but so you have to separate that, and then there's the other side of it, which is how many people in the United States, or Canada, or France, or the UK, or whatever, have an interest in the idea of extraterrestrial life. Wow. Okay. Well, a lot, like a, a a lot. And how many have an interest in space travel? And it, whether it's science fiction or whether it's real or whatever, um, a lot. Again. So I always thought that ufology, really, when they delved off into the conspiracy nut world, um, missed a trick because there's a huge audience out there. And the problem is, you never went after those people. You you went literally most common denominator, the easy fruit on, on the tree. And you never, you never had any ambition to climb higher and have a more enlightened conversation. A few did, like Jacques Vallée um, and some others. But, uh, but by and large, ufology is a field that's been waiting in the quicksand for, for its entire existence. And, but you have no problem finding folks, any bar you walk into or any, anywhere you go, you can probably find a group of people that you can strike up a conversation with about the idea of extraterrestrial life. And you might even be able, if you, you know, go a bit and don't jump on them right off the bat with, they're coming here and they own the government. Um, if you sort of work in the possibility after half an hour that, hey, what do you think of the idea that maybe, maybe they're more advanced than us and maybe they could have traveled here? You might actually be, find people more receptive to that approach. Unfortunately, oh, in yeah, mythology, I've experienced that. their approach is, they're coming here and you need to know it. And if you, if you don't yeah. agree, you're part you of You deserve them. to know it. Yes. It's not just you know, that you need to know it, you deserve to know it. Free yeah. energy. We're being, we're being screwed over because they won't tell us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they I guess. Cure this... for cancer. And... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And free energy. They have everything. Yeah. It's yep. bogus. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, to me, it's just like, and I guess, and I've said this before when I, when I sort of go off on this tangent, but it's like, if you're hearing this, you're not part of that problem because you're consuming good shit. <laughs> but it's like there are lots of people who will who you know who buy the the uh the citizens hearing on disclosure DVD set god bless them and people who it's to millions of people who watch the Stephen Greer movie so it's like the consumers you know the consumers are the problem as much as anything else and if we want we need more charismatic people putting forward different ideas in ufology that's really uh sort of the thing well, you do if you want to save ufology, whatever that is. I don't. <laughs> I, I just want to find people you can have right, good, right. fun conversations with. But I will agree with this, that Banal of America is really high-grade, sort of homegrown, organic, good marijuana. And ufology in general is like crack cocaine or crystal meth. Uh, you know, there, is <laughs> yeah. a, there is a qualitative difference, and uh, one will open your mind and enlighten you and make you easy and mellow, and this is all cool. And the other one will turn your teeth black, and eventually you'll be robbing convenience stores, uh, and uh, right. and that's ufology. Whereas you're the you're you're the uh, marijuana, you're the ayahuasca of um, ufological discourse. Wow, thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. I appreciate yeah. that. Nice. You're as close as I'll ever get to um, ayahuasca. So. <laughs> well, 
who knows? They they they've already they're they're legalizing marijuana up there. So now they're trying to legalize yeah. mushrooms in uh, in California. So God knows what <laughs> twenty years from now we'll be like having open access to ayahuasca. That's right, baby. If you're a pothead living in the U.S., move to Canada. It's all legal all the time, starting, I think, next June. So, yeah, Come on I up. think. I, I thought, actually, I think it's July 1st, because I thought, unless they changed it, because they were mad, well, they were concerned that it was going to be legalized on Ca- Canada Day. That it would, uh, yeah. I don't know. Only because of run on only the losers. Like, only losers would be concerned about that, I think, from. And, I, you know, I don't do marijuana. I just know plenty of people who do. But uh, if it's somewhat – I think it would be great if it was on Canada Day and if every Canadian citizen who would be legally of age um, – you know, I wouldn't want 12-year-old kids doing it or whatever. But every Canadian citizen went out and in a massive show of national unity sort of light, lit one up and went, dude. You know? and, then, and then maybe sang the song from the um, – Doug and Bob McKenzie, like kind of thing. That that's how we should spend Canada Day. Yeah, well, it's, uh, yeah. I I don't know if it's anything like Fourth of July, but it's like everybody gets drunk on the Fourth of July. No one's really sitting around getting stoned, so yeah. seems yeah, kinda like, kind of like uh, I don't think we need to worry too much about it. We we we. It's the one day of the year we come out of our igloos and these beasts. And uh, and ski down to uh, a celebration of our national unity. There you go. I actually yeah. got really into Canadian history when I was up there this summer. Uh, I, was, I became wow. fascinated by. I know. I became fascinated by. Uh, I'd like to get a book on this. If you if you know of one that you could recommend, I'd appreciate it. Actually, for real, I'm not busting your chops. Um, but I got really fat because when we went to. Liverpool, uh, I read that they that they were, I think it was Liverpool, uh, that they were on the fence about what side to join in the Revolutionary War, and uh, it like completely opened my mind, where I was like, wait a minute, what? There were people up here during the, what were they all doing? And then I got, I yeah. went into one of those like Google holes, where it was like, <laughs> I need to learn as much as I can about this period in Canadian history, because what what uh, you know? I'd never you know. I found out there was actually like twenty colonies and thirteen split off, um, and were formed America. And I think two of the twenty were like North and South Florida or some shit. Um, yeah. And then all and then a whole bunch of Canadian provinces that were like on the fence, and then they decided to stay. And then it was like, well, are we gonna, are they going to get absorbed by the uprising American? thing. It's fascinating, fascinating stuff. It's it's an interesting perspective that I think Canadians are more familiar with than Americans um, because of the idea you view yourself as the 13 colonies, right? And so right, you right. separated and you were the only 13 colonies. No, there were other colonies. It was called British North America and the 13 colonies were part of that, but other parts stayed loyal for one reason or another, uh, while you treasonous dogs um, rebelled against the empire. And, uh, and, you know, eventually the loyalists wound up up here. But I had relatives, I mean, distant ancestors, uh, because my family's been big in genealogy. We, we've studied the history of this, who uh, were involved in revolutionary activities in and 
you know, I had other ancestors who were involved in loyalist activities. So the short answer for you is there were two primary reasons why we didn't go full blown, you know, full bore in um, a number. But the two I would say, things how you ask. One, uh, the very large British fleet, Halifax Harbor. Um, you know, it was the primary one of the primary British ports. And two, we were having a revolution of our own at the time. There was a religious revival called uh, the Great Awakening that was happening here, led by a guy I studied when I was a graduate student, Henry Allen, who has factored in uh, to some of the things I've read about in my book because he was very much a mystical Christian. And so he was launching a religious revolution against the uh, Congregationalist and Anglican churches, or Church of England, here in the maritime colonies at that time, that really had our entire region, while you guys were wrapped up in a political revolution, uh, it was more of a spiritual revolution taking place up here. And that turned a lot of people's attention away from more mundane earthly concerns. And his religious revival literally coincided, I think it started in about 1775, and it went until 1784 when he died um, of tuberculosis. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of factors in there, none of which I'm sure your audience care. Where are the UFOs? Why are they talking about this? Um, but you brought it up. And yeah, Canadian inter- history is fascinating. It's wicked um, interesting. I don't care what they think. <laughs> yeah, no, It's called fucking right. been all of America. That's right. It's not, you know... Um, no, I was going to say Lemberg of America. I don't want to pick on Alfred because he, he wrote something on your wall laughing. Uh, and I, I like Alfred. So, um, But, you know, like Michael Reynolds of America or Greg Bishop of America. It's none of those things. It's banal of America. So you can talk about what yeah, you Yeah, like notice there's no paranormal in the title. So I could, I could, notice, just, I could relaunch the show as a NASCAR program and I'd still be able to keep the name. Sweet. So we, we can make the last half hour or so about pro wrestling? No. That's definitely, well, we'll try not to do a half hour, but yeah, I think we may yeah, end up there. That's probably not going to happen. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. If we ever, like, when we get really old and we've been successful in our pursuits and we need, like, a passion project at the end, we should do a, uh, like, uh, they should do this in Canada. I guess maybe they don't care as much. Maybe they wouldn't. But I would like to see, because it's funny, it's here in America, they've, like, plumbed the depths of every war when it comes to entertainment. You know what I mean? There's like a million World War II movies, tons of Revolutionary Civil War movies. I would like to see – I would rather see it as a TV show like called The Other Colonies about sort of the intrigue between the two like – almost like a Game of Thronesian thing, you know? The intrigue yeah. between the Canadian colonies and the American colonies, that's – you know. And I presume almost never that there was ever any like actual uh, conflict between the two sides. Relatively speaking, which two, which two sides? Like, like the Canadian colonies and the American, like the, it was sort of like the British and I don't know. Yeah, I'm just trying it, to wrap my head around it. It was called the War of 1812, which, by the way, we won. Ah, um, all right. Which was was a war between Britain and and the Canadian colonists against um, some American colonists. The War of 1812. Um, 
you know, was a clusterfuck. I thought that was Britain trying to reclaim America. No, no, that maybe that's what they teach you guys in school. You guys started it. It was your expansionist people that wanted to take the rest of the stuff you didn't already have. It was a defensive war for us. So a win for the United States in the War of 1812 would have been conquering the the Canadian colonies. Oh, the North. A win. Yeah. A win for us in the War of 1812 is just keeping you crazy guys out of the colonies and stopping you at the the border, which we managed to do. And then just for fun, we we burned the White House. Um, which was cool. Although you did kick our ass at the Battle of New Orleans, so you know it all sort of evened out in the end. Um, but it's interesting, you, Canadian history. Like you guys, you guys mythologize the Alamo, so or the or the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Actually, you guys mythologize a lot of terrible defeats, but the Alamo in particular. So the, it's this great story of you know 100 or 150 plucky Americans and Texians holding off this, this super large force of uh, Mexicans until they eventually get overrun. And Davy Crockett's there. And it's, it's actually a pretty good story. I've been to the Alamo. But, and most Canadians, if you were to say to them, hey, do you know of Davy Crockett or the Alamo? I think they probably, in the back of their mind, at least would have gone, yeah, sure, we've, we've heard of it. Um, and many would know either through movies or books or whatever, because your mythology permeates our society. But the interesting thing is, here's something for you to do. Google, because I know you like to use the Google, uh, the Battle of Long Sioux, and Sioux is spelled S-A-U-L-T. And so what that was, was a battle in 1660 during what was called the Beaver Wars, which is funny in and of itself, between some French settlers and the Iroquois, which was, you know, if you had to pick uh, a Native American, you know, these guys are the top of the food when it comes to warriors, the Iroquois would have been right there. And so, you know, here's kind of the breakdown of the numbers. The French militia had 17 guys, and they had 44 roughly Huron, which were allied Native American uh, warriors. And the Iroquois had 700. So those are bad odds. And it turns out all the French were killed, uh, and their Huron allies were killed. But they held the Iroquois off long enough so that while the Iroquois won a tactical victory, the French won a strategic victory because they prevented the Iroquois from continuing on and destroying Montreal and other settlements in, in the colony of Quebec. So, like yeah. most Canadians, if you were to say to them the Battle of the Long Sioux, they'd go, what? What are you talking about? And every Canadian should know about it because it is a great, great story. And I'm like, there's, as far as I know, there's never been a movie made about it. Certainly not in English Canada. Maybe in French Canada there has, but I don't think so. And these are... In the U.S., you guys would have turned this into a television series 30 years ago. Like, this would have been a major motion picture starring Kevin Costner or something uh, and with a crummy French accent. But up here, it's, you know, we don't, we don't focus in on that stuff as much. And um, yeah. I, I don't want to glorify war, uh, but, you know, it's part of our history, and it's a, it's a story of heroism on both sides that should be told. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of those stories up here. I just wish more people would tell them. Yeah. It's great that you're interested in Canadian history. The other colonies will win like a million Emmys, dude. The other colonies. That's that's what we refer to you people as. The other, the former colonies. Yeah, exactly. Well, that. And our and, and from the point of view here, we'd be like trying. We'd be like, "Hey, there were other col like it's like the other. There was other colonies, man. Did you know that? Because I really didn't. I think, I, and I'm from like one of the original colonies, so you know, you'd yeah. think I would know. 
So but am I. I barely know um, about this. I barely know about this War of 1812 you mentioned, uh, which I'm sure there's history buffs in the audience being like, what an idiot. But it's like, it's talk about, that, that never gets any <laughs> any coverage. No one, there, no one ever talks about two, the War of 1812. With the exception of Vietnam, you guys don't really talk about the wars that you lose or the ones that are kind of like ties. And uh, Korea was kind of like a tie. And the War of 1812 was basically a tie. And I would yeah, say strategic yeah. loss because you didn't, you didn't achieve your aims of taking over British North America. So I actually put that one in your loss column. But they're not sexy when you lose. You prefer the wars that you actually win, with the exception of Vietnam, which you know, ruins your psyche for 30, 40 years. So the conversation never really – but you know, up here, we don't really talk about our wars much at all, with the exception of when an anniversary comes around. So when the uh, anniversary, the 200th anniversary of the War of 1812 came around, we, you know, we commemorated it and put some stuff up and put you some into it. And uh, I know. Did you celebrate burning uh, our, our our White House? Well, and I do that every day. In it's fact, the the British general <laughs> who was in charge, you'll find this interesting, or maybe not. The British general who was in charge of burning the White House is buried in Halifax. Uh, he's in the old burial ground downtown, and he was killed. In Baltimore, which is kind of fitting, given Baltimore's uh, reputation as a crime-ridden city of gun violence. But he was killed. The British continued on after Washington and uh, moved down to attack Baltimore, and he was killed there. So, um, yeah, he's buried in Halifax. He, we, we treat him as a national hero um, because he held off the Yankees and then burned their White House. So, yay. But on a more positive note... Uh... I believe your Christmas tree has arrived here. Uh, yes, it has. Oh, yeah. It says Boston's Christmas tree from Nova Scotia. To, that was a couple, like 10 days ago, to a week ago, to arrive Tuesday. So That's that's true. People who think because... that it's all conflict between Canada and America are sadly mistaken. Well, the true story about the Christmas tree, so here's what happened. And it's a wonderful story of uh, unity between really – Siblings were siblings, Canada and the U.S. So in 1917, I think also Halifax and Boston are kind of like they're they're very similar in a way, and and it's a good yes. story for the holiday season. So, well, the the truth is that given the way that the um, the colonies were structured, uh, Massachusetts residents and I, I have much more in common with people from New England than I do with people from Alberta. And you have much more in common with people from Nova Scotia and New Brunswick than you do from people from Texas or Washington. Yeah, yeah, exactly. California, yeah. Because because the the tie the lines always ran north south, as particularly on the east coast because of the shipping. So you know the trade was between Halifax and Portland and Boston and the New England colonies and New York, and you know at, at that time there were no colonies out west. It was Spanish territory or unexplored territory. So, those, I mean, I always feel I've been out west in Canada, and I love, I love the west. It's great. But I always feel much more at home in New Hampshire or Maine or Vermont than I, than I do in Alberta. It's not that I don't feel at home in Alberta. It's just, to me, it's like going to Texas. It's a different world. But if I go to New England, I feel like I'm at home because the people are like me. We have a shared history, and even the architecture is similar and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah. so yeah, we have a lot more in common 
then we don't. So, yeah, right. Every year we send you guys down a big giant Christmas tree. There's a big celebration here a week or two ago when they put it on the back of a truck and they drove it out and it was a big parade and the premier and the mayor and everybody went. Um, And it's great because it's our way of saying thank you. Because in 1917, uh, in December, um, because Halifax was a big convoy for Yes, this is the 100th anniversary of the Halifax explosion, which was the largest man-made non-nuclear explosion before uh, Hiroshima, or man-made explosion of any sort, I guess. And so what happened is Donald Trump mastered time travel, traveled back in time to 1917, and, and, uh, and blew up Halifax, and, uh, and then somehow made his way back into the present. So we don't hold that against you guys, because we know Massachusetts voted for Clinton. Um, but you, after Halifax blew up and I think like thousand, a couple thousand people were killed, it leveled the city. You can still walk through Halifax and see all the, a lot of historic sites where, Hey, look, a cannon landed here from one of the ships or a piece of metal landed here. And this is like five miles away or something. Um, Boston, you know, came to our aid and responded with massive aid, uh, that prevented an even worse tragedy. So as our way of saying thank you, we send you guys a giant Christmas tree every year. Yeah, it's awesome. So Makes me want to cry. Yeah, like I said, it's perfect for the holiday season. We, it's we a, kill a did tree. Did they... <laughs> Die, sacrificial tree. I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this. People are like, now they're like, what the fuck, man? But... uh did they – when I went – I talked about this for sure on the show uh, uh, with Vanny when I was telling about my trip to Canada. The They had that World War I uh, – for folks who don't know this, I went to the Citadel in, um, in Halifax, and part of – even though that's like a Revolutionary War thing, they had like a display built around World War One, the trenches and stuff, and, and it was amazing. It was one of the most – it was uh, – it was one of those sort of happenstance experiences where you're like, wait, what is this thing? All right, I'll check it out. And then you're completely blown away. It was like an incredible recreation of the of, of the trenches from all the different uh, countries that fought in World War One. You know, as you go along, it evolves into the different uh, styles, and, and each one had sort of a little different thing. And I guess they were taking mm-hmm. it down. Did they take it down yet? I don't know. I haven't been up there this year. Um... But I was in it. I got a, a private tour from one of the – I just happened to know a uh, mutual friend, so I kind of got a private tour of it from the um, the head of uh, of historical recreations or whatever at the Siddle. And, yeah, it was great. And it's a very quintessential Canadian thing. And I don't want to knock Americans. I don't know what you guys would do. But most countries would tend to say, hey, here's the trench that we were in, Right. So if you're British, maybe you don't go out of your way to recreate the German trenches. I don't know. Maybe you do. Right, right. But Canadians, we recreated everyone. So, okay, here's what a British – and they all look different. They were all a little different. So here's what a British yeah. trench looked like, and they built it this way, and their officer's hut looked like this. And little, Okay, now here's what a French one looked like. And so they built it all as, they built it all as this – and in the moat that surrounds the castle. So it was great. Uh, the castle, yeah. sorry, the Siddle. And here's what a German one looks like. It's like, okay, those are the big three. Oh, and you have another section? Well, what's that one for? Because you've covered everyone, right? Here's what the Belgian trench looked like. The Belgians? Yes, they held a, a whole sector up in the north part, the teeny part of their country that the Germans didn't conquer. And so wow, the Belgians had trenches. Cool. 
And yeah, it was great. It was, the Citadel's just a great place to go, no matter what. But um, the trench thing, and that had a lot to do with the 100th anniversary. It had everything to do with the 100th anniversary of um, the ongoing 100th anniversary of the First World War, which, right. um, as we like to say, yes, technically the United States has fought in two world wars, but we were there first on the side of freedom um, in both of them. So especially the Second World War, which was really about freedom. First World War was more about colonial bickering. Um, but in both cases, we were fighting um, several years before uh, the Americans became involved. And so, sure, you guys might have gotten in and won the war, I guess. At the end of the day, you tipped the balance. But somebody had to keep the, you know, somebody had to keep the score close until, you know, we could get you guys in the game. And that was the British Empire. So, yay, good for us. Huzzah, as we say. Yeah. I think it all, I feel like fact, almost the conversation doesn't do it justice, but it's yeah, it was no. a very immersive experience. Um, oh yeah, for very, people who very got to so. do it. I don't yeah, know if like it's you were still literally there. in the in the trench. Well, they I said mean, they I were taking it, it. They were taking it down. They had it for like two years, and they were taking it down. Oh well, that's too bad. They sh- I would have left it up as a permanent exhibit. I don't know why they would. Yeah, I think they should. Other, I think they should. Other than that, nobody would ever go into the moat. You couldn't access it. It's off limits. <laughs> So they built it in the moat or the, um, you know, the giant ditch to keep people from, you know, to prevent soldiers from jumping into the fort. And um, I'm not doing that justice. I, I just call it a moat. And um, and I, I don't know why if they took it down, I don't know why they would do that, because there was there's no other like you would never go into the moat otherwise. So there's it's not like yeah, something else like would take place. Yeah. So it's not like something else would be taking its place. So. I'm sad if they took it down. That's a, that's a shame. Oh, well. Yeah, I should I should look into that and find out. You should use flex some political muscle up there in Halifax and get them to save it. I I don't have any political muscle. I lost, remember? And I lost because of UFOs. That's not that's not true. Well, but. here's yeah. Well, but that, I that could lose. be a wedge issue though. That could be a wedge issue in the next election. You could be like. You see what happened? I you, I didn't win, and now the exhibit's gone, and I would have fought to save it. So bring me, we'll, you know, we'll bring a, back the exhibit. It's an interesting thing because I never miss an opportunity to um, bash Stephen Bassett, and this will be the last time you do this show that I'll be on it because uh, you're winding the show down. So in this iteration, here's my final dig at Stephen Bassett, who, unlike Stephen Greer, I'm oh for Bassett. So Bassett and I have both I think we're the only two people that I know of within what could be called ufology who have ever run for elected office because Bassett ran for Congress several years ago. And so cool. He ran for Congress. I ran for the equivalent, what you guys would call a state legislature. I got 26% of the vote and he got less than one. So yay, I win. Huzzah. Take that Bassett. So my, forgot, version, yeah. my my brand of ufology is clearly more popular and politically palatable than Stephen Bassett's version. Ta-da! Yeah, yeah, but I wasn't he didn't he run as the disclosure candidate? Wasn't that like yeah. uh, <laughs> his well his uh, that was his wedge issue where everyone else was like was like, dude, I just want you're running for school committee, Steve. Like we don't care, yeah, we don't care about UFO disclosure. Come on, man. I I, I ran on health care and electoral reform, 
um, and he ran on UFO disclosure. So, yeah, um, there's there's probably a pretty good explanation in there on on why one of us did better than the other. But at the end of the day, we both lost. So we have that in common. Plus, May, yeah. we will always have the casino. We will always have the casino where you you smacked your ass cheek in in my face. So we'll always have that. Yes, the infamous ass ass cheek smack. Now, how far can you go past the hour? I don't want to. I don't want to uh, intrude or uh, ask too much. But you know, we can go over the uh, over the, the hour. Well, we can go a little over if you want. I have an early morning meeting actually that I have to go to, so I, I can do a little bit extra. It's up to you. Um, All right, I'll uh, save. I tell you what, we'll, I'm not I'll, sure how much. That's the only time I'll mention wrestling, and then that'll be that'll be okay. that'll be your cue to uh, to wind down. Because I know that's the part of the show that Aaron Gullius has been listening for almost two hours to hear you and I talking about wrestling. So he's he's out there. Actually, I'm out. a Matt. It's funny. It's funny you mention Aaron because I, uh, when we got into that long tangent just now about Canadian history, I imagined that the that the only person in the audience who was like on the edge of their seat and really riveted by the conversation conversation was Aaron Gullius. I figured in my mind, I'm like Aaron Gullius must be loving this. This is like this is some this is some deep cut history, uh, <laughs> some real deep cut think- history here. You would think so, but here's the truth. I mean, I, I swore to him I'd never realized he's not actually an historian. That's all fraud. He works at a Denny's. True story. Wow. I mean, and as that... as Stephen as Stephen Bassett would say, prove me wrong. <laughs> so there you go. I think that explains his his he was really bullish on libraries. So so yeah. maybe that's. Libraries is a code word for Denny's. <laughs> I think he, I think he might have moved on. To, I think he might have moved on to an IHOP now. But um, yeah, no, he's a real history professor. Uh, he's a good guy. Of course, he is. he's a great guy. His new podcast is amazing. I don't know how much you've heard he, of it, but uh, it's really really good. He, he's a good guy. I'm, I'm not prepared to go great yet, but he's he's very good. He's a very good guy. He's. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I'm sure he's still listening. He's like, okay, that's it. I'm never going back to Nova Scotia. Yeah, his new pog, his his news. What is it? Saucer Life or whatever. I mean, is yeah, yeah, yeah Saucer it. Life. He is the great. He's yeah, like, it's excellent. He's, yeah, he's a great unifier. I mean, he's getting rave reviews, and I've listened to a couple episodes. And the best part about it, he never has guests, and he never will, as far as I can tell. Yeah, no, it's a completely, uh, it's a completely original idea. I really love it a lot. Yeah, it's now just he's him like, talking. All right. Flying saucer history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I I likened to him uh, about the about the show that I liked a lot was that uh, that it's like he's still experimenting with the he's just doing different things. You know what I mean? Because he's sort of just developing the show as he goes along, which is fun to see. You know, because yeah. a lot of my show, a lot of shows are sort of like. Have been around forever, so it's like we have a certain way of doing things. With him, it's like the the, the options are endless in a sense. They are, and you know, he, to be fair, like he has an awful lot of time when he's working at the Denny's to think about stuff that he can do for his show. So this is true. Um, yeah, you know, you, you've you've got a busy life, but I mean, he's basically just slinging hash all day. So you know, he has a lot of time to think about that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so. dream about UFOs. Yeah, exactly. He's kind well, of like the Grant. Cam- he's the Grant Cameron of Denny's. You know, he's got a lot of spare time in his hands. 
talking about TV show ideas, they should do a spin-off show. This is you'll never get elected to office if you do this. So this is my warning to you. But uh, you should you should volunteer your legal expertise to the guy who's suing the Canadian government about Sasquatch. Have you heard about this guy? No, I haven't. This sounds fascinating. There's a guy in British Columbia who's suing the uh, you know the, the I guess the the territory I guess, but I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. It could be an agency within the territory for for dereliction of duty to protect Sasquatch, and he and he claims he's going to you know he's going to prove in court that Sasquatch is real. So I don't know if that even like is he possibly could that even actually happen that he would be able to get in front or they just like be completely throw this thing out before it ever gets in front of a judge. I have a sneaking suspicion that it would be dismissed. Uh, but it, you know, British Columbia is sort of the left coast. There's, if anything weird is going to happen in Canada, it would be in BC. Yeah, they have a very weird political history and it's, it's sort of, interesting. you know, our California. So all bets are off. So you never know. He might get lucky enough to find a judge that would let it. I don't know. I hadn't heard of it. Um, maybe there's some environmental statute or animal protection statute out there that he could hang his hat on. Sounds crazy to me. But stranger things have happened in British Columbia. So it, you know, anything's possible. Yeah. I was, I was a wow, all right. bear in British well, Columbia. Yeah. Well, the, I'll send you the link to it. But part of the... This part probably will get thrown out, but part of the lawsuit is like he wants the British government, or British, uh, the British Colombian government, to like dispatch uh, an expert to to do like a three month three month Bigfoot hunt, like in the where this guy says Bigfoot is, um, which is like again, it's like imagine if that really happens, like <laughs> like if the guy, if the judge was like, it seems fair. I mean, you can't just say it's not there. We have to send someone to look, you know. And who knows? Maybe the guy will have some weird experience. I'll be like, all right, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because you read these stories where it's like New Zealand has just given dolphins personhood. But it means like it's not that, you know, they don't get to vote or anything, but it's they're getting all these rights and stuff. So it's like, who knows? Could happen with Bigfoot uh, in British Columbia. I'm sensing that a, a whole new television series could come out of this where the expert that they bring in, and I'll set this up for you. So you go out to the middle of the woods in British Columbia, which if you ever saw the X-Files in the early years and any of the episodes in the woods, well, that was British Columbia. So that's what it looks like. Um, yeah, I feel so like you go out there, anywhere. It's probably there. Yeah. Well, there's an awful lot of woods that you know people haven't been in. So you, put it, you go out in the middle of the woods and you need to get your expert there, but you can't pay him a lot. So you have to make it worth his while. So you make a television show, there'll be a lot of notoriety, cool, and you need to give them a place to stay. So you put a couch out in the middle of the woods, and you uh, have a floating poker game. Stephen Bassett, come on down. It's perfect for Bassett. He can turn himself into a Bigfoot expert and uh, move to British Columbia and sleep on a couch for three months while checking in on Bigfoot. I like it. I'd film that. I would, and by the way, in case you think I'm kidding, I would, I would film that because that would be hilarious. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe Steve would be up to be sent into the woods by the British Columbian government. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, this I disclosure thing's not going happening. anywhere. I can't see it happening, but I wish it would because I'm pretty sure at least Aaron Gullius and I could agree that that would be awesome and we would watch it. Um, I, I think you'd get a pretty good audience for that. Whatever else I'll say about Bassett, he's, you know, he's kind of crazily charismatic in his own way. Um, he probably talked Bigfoot to death, but, uh, you know, there, there, there could be something there. That's what I think. As ufology falls apart, I think you're onto something, Tim. I think we can run with this. As ufology falls apart, I think we're going to have to find jobs and uh, places for <laughs> some of the leading figures. And I, you know, I don't want to take them away from the paranormal because it's all they know. So, like, we can get Bassett in on the uh, the Bigfoot thing, and Greer. I mean, uh, you know, let's get Greer out in some ghost hunting. Let's let's get Steve because he summons aliens, so maybe he can summon ghosts. And eventually, we can find a home for everybody in the disclosure movement. Um, I don't know what we do with Richard Dolan, but yeah, we'll figure out something out. And so, and they'll all be more successful because all of these things we can do TV shows about. Nobody wants to do a TV show about <laughs> UFOs. But big, yeah, that's that, true. That that works. Yeah, I like it. Done. Another Kimball Kimball right. production. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I. I <laughs> I was hoping you'd offer your legal expertise to this guy as his as his Bigfoot lawyer, but I, the direction I you have, went in, I sounds even more interesting. I don't have any legal expertise. I haven't. Um, when I was running in the election this past year, um, another uh, member of my own party, I don't know, I can say who, um, and he he met well. But he, he, I sat down with him and another guy, and they said, listen, when you're putting your literature together, you, you need to say that you're a lawyer. And I said, but I'm not. I have a law degree, and I was once a lawyer. I was called to the bar. I passed the bar exam. But I'm a, I'm a non-practicing lawyer, and, and now I'm not even right, a non-practicing right. lawyer. Like, I can't call myself a lawyer. And they were adamant that I needed to call myself a lawyer. And I said, well, no, that would be dishonest. And, and one of them looked at me and said, well, it's politics. Jesus, just put lawyer on your pamphlet. And uh, I never did. I, I just wouldn't because it would be dishonest. So, yeah, I don't have any... Did you say law degree, though? Oh, yeah, no, I still have a law degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, did I'm you just... say, like, did you mention the law, that you have a law degree on the pamphlet? Uh, my biography said that I went to law school, yeah. But as I also tried to explain to people, you know, guys, lawyers aren't necessarily the most popular people. I think I'll have better luck if I put ghost hunter on my on my literature. Like 40 <laughs> in ghost hunting. Yeah, nobody likes lawyers, dude. Love. Yeah, who, nobody wants accountants and lawyers. They want outlaws for love and ghost hunters and blue sky thinkers. That's what the future is going to be made of. And real estate developers from New York. Those are really the main categories of our new leadership. So Reality and, stars. Reality stars. Re, reality stars and Stephen Bassett. There's an entire category just for Steve. <laughs> uh, it's an obsession I'd love with Steve Bassett tonight. I, I know. I, I love and hate Bassett in the same breath. I'd like to see Bassett in Congress, though. Come on. That'd be fun. Just Oh yeah, he should run. He's now he should run for Congress. He might actually have a yeah. chance just because know. you know there seems to be a wave going on. You yeah, know? he should just marshal the right wing UFO people and he could waltz in. I don't want to see him in the Senate because senators are much more powerful. No, no. And, you know, there's 
100. He could do real damage there. But, you know, in Congress where there's over 400 of them in the House of Representatives, go for it. Oh, there's all I'd, kinds I'd of cookie ones, it. yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, it's like, you, hey, you guys thought Dennis Kucinich was nuts? Hey, take a look at what we have for you today. Oh, you must not have heard about the lady in Florida, which is, which is probably how a lot of terrible stories start. But, I have um, heard of her, yes. There, Oh, okay. The one that's running for office, and she's like, uh, she's a, an alien abductee or uh, an experiencer. It's yeah, pretty, and, and it's maybe pretty, but she's like pissed and doesn't want anyone to know now. Okay, that's weird. Um, yeah, I don't know how you. It like came out later, and she's. I I yeah I I did hear something about that. I mean that probably scuppers any chance she has of getting elected, although it is Florida. <laughs> So, you never know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just funny because, uh, yeah, they, they, like, dug it up. She did, like, a couple shows. She did, she did, like, shows, like, but all of America. She did a couple of, like, alien abductee podcasts. Like, we talk about how there's these sh- lack of diversity or something in these shows. Uh, you know, there's whole shows that just about alien abductions. And she did, like, two of them. And they were posted on YouTube, whether it's just her name. And then they came out, like, later, like this, like, uh, last month, where it's, like... <laughs> It's like she uh, she had all these crazy stories too. It was it was wild. Yeah. And then they asked her, and she's like, like a lot of scientists, I believe that there's life out there on other planets, and that's all I have to say. Wait, is she an actual scientist? No, no, no. Like, oh no, no. She said like, and then she listed people oh. like you know Ronald Reagan and people who've seen UFOs. That's what it was. I apologize. Uh, she yeah, she was right. like right. like Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter. I also have seen a UFO, and that's really uh, all all that we need to talk about, or something like that. Right, and you know, Jim so was like, "Yeah, lady, but you said you were fucking abducted." <laughs> What's that? <laughs> that's a little different than sort of seeing Venus in the night sky. You said they came into your room and took you up to your spaceship or whatever. That, that's a sort oh, yeah, of yeah. She had like all leap. kinds of conversations with them and shit. Yeah, and and maybe she did. I don't know, um, and I don't think that that should be. Dis- it's as Donald Trump would say about the Alabama Senate election. It's up to the voters of Florida to determine whether they should vote for her or not. So, you know, good for her. Um, yeah, here's what she said: I join the majority of Americans who believe that there must be intelligent life in the billions of planets and galaxies in the universe. Wow! So, so somebody, yeah, somebody in so the PR department crafted that one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just thought that was like, I guess she's still running. I haven't followed up on the story, but yeah. Yeah, and exactly. She very well may have been abducted. It's just funny. It's just a funny mm. story. In, it's just a funny, <laughs> funny story. Like it sounds pops like the up kind like of thing, from her past. Sounds like the kind of thing Spicy would say. Maybe maybe she's hired him to be her public relations person. That is a very, yeah, yeah. That does sound very like Trumpian. It's like yeah. talking. It's like a, just a word salad of, of like uh, of of bloviating. Somebody, um, it's it's so like he's become such a thing. Obviously, he's the president, but there was a local political leader here today, and um, the entire executive. I think the entire executive of his own party, um, not my party, but one of the other two parties, resigned, and one of them said. What was the exact thing that they referred to? Uh, oh, right. Uh, former vice president accuses Halifax Shabukto MLA and NDP leader of inhabiting a, quote, 
Trump-like world of alternate facts. So even <laughs> in Canada, when we want to say somebody's nuts, we just go, a Trump-like world of alternate facts where he literally just makes shit up. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's extending outward from the United States. It's like a zombie virus. Right, exactly. Well, it's very, as cliche as it sounds now, it's like that movie Idiocracy was like a, was really like a, a really dark, uh, accurate glimpse of like how the future seems to unfold or has been unfolding. So, you I, know, I you just, hope it doesn't I, get that far, but it's ridiculous. I just love the idea because I never disliked him personally. I just did his policies, but he always seemed like a nice guy that you could have a beer with, I guess, George Bush. And people I remember viewed him as the Antichrist and called him a fascist and everything. And I have to think, somewhere Bush is sitting down going, how do you like me now? Like, you know, seriously. Um, hey, guess what? When you said I was the worst that you could ever think of, eh, you were wrong. There's a lot worse. And the truth about Trump is, when people look at him now and say, this guy is the worst we can ever think of. No, I've got news for you folks. There, there are worse options even than Trump. And uh, if you're not careful, they'll, you might have one of them down the road. So never assume that you're at the absolute bottom of the pile um, until you're there. And then you'll know it. It will look a lot like Nazi Germany or Stalinist Russia. But, you know, we're not there yet. So um, it's still in the manageable phase until we start World War III with North Korea. <laughs> yeah, so we got like six months. By um, the way, you guys are you guys are on your own on that one. We, we want nothing to do with uh, Kim Jong Un. Um, we kind of like him. He's kind of plucky, you know. He speaks truth to power. I like him. I yeah, it's it's fucked up, but like <laughs> in a battle for hearts and minds, like Kim Kim Jong Un and and uh, and Donald Trump is about as appetizing as Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton. It's well, like this it, is this is ridiculous. In the battle of hearts and minds, when you're losing to the last Stalinist dictator on the planet Earth, and you you're losing that battle, um, you, it's not a good sign. But when I listen to Trump and then Kim Jong Un both talk, I go, "You're both crazy, and you're both childish, and you're both idiots." But you know what? I actually think Kim Jong Un is more rational. He actually has a plan. And we can kind of predict his behavior, and he will never want to go to war because that's where he's from. It's the other guy that worries me because he's like, I can't predict his behavior. And so, right, right. Kim Jong-un, you're the rational one. Who knew that that was going to happen? Um, again, I blame the Large Hadron Collider. I'm surprised there aren't like Cthulian Lovecraftian beasts running around the planet by now. Because um, that seems to be the world that we're living in. So, because of the LHC. Well, I yes, not to get too not to get too like political and deep. Because um, I was about to pivot to pro wrestling, but the I don't think I've got into this on the show. But I think one thing I always sort of complain about in my own home is like, uh, well, watching the news. I mean, is um, it's like, and I'm gonna sound like a total fucking old man now. Oh, and thanks to the folks who tuned in live. We're already like past the hour. Um, <laughs> Thanks, is folks. the and I mean I don't know how much it's really influenced culture, but I feel like it has. But it's like this this just sort of like troll mentality. And I say you know it's not like an old man because I blame like 
I blame the young people. But it's just like this whole like vote for the worst, um, disrupt the system, but in a in in sort of like not in a altruistic way, but just to blow blow up the system, you know. And it seems like it's 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 I don't know. That's a lot of what we have to blame for this, or it's a symptom. It's one of the many things, you know. But it's like. It's like this attitude of like, it'll be funny. We'll just vote for this guy. He makes me laugh. It's all a joke. It's like, dude, it's not all a joke. You know? You know what? It's funny because I remember watching the election returns, and uh, there's no question I would have voted for Clinton. And I would have voted for Clinton over Sanders, too. Um, So I kind of like Clinton. Uh, But whatever. But I do remember thinking that night, you know, my wife came in, and or at the time, my fiance, and, and she said, ah, the early returns, Trump has a shot. And I went, no, he doesn't. This, wait till Pennsylvania and Ohio come in and Wisconsin. Like, you know, this is, I remember when people thought Romney had a shot. This, it's over. It's not going to happen. And then I kept watching the results, and I went, holy shit. I still don't yeah, think yeah. he's going to win. But he's actually, he really does have a shot now. And then I started contemplating what the world would be like with a President Trump. And I, I have to admit, I thought, huh, well, this could be kind of fun. Like, what's the worst that he could do? I mean, surely he'll become a little more moderate. But he's a, he's a chaos agent. And this, this could be interesting. But it's not going to happen. And then, you know, by about 3 o'clock in the morning, I went, oh, oh my God. Oh, oh, Jesus. Like, this, it, it has happened. There's not even going to be a recount. This one's over. Like, put it to bed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed that this is going to be more fun than not. And yet, you know, it, it turns out, it, and it has been. My wife, like, I should be watching the news all the time because I'm a political science. That's why I studied college law. I'm literally, CNN should be targeting stuff to me. Nope. I hardly ever watch. The news. I check the CNN website once or twice a day just to see what the headlines are. I, I read the New York Times. Uh, uh, I subscribe to it online. And that's it. And then I go about my business. But my wife, every time I go upstairs, she when she's home, it's MSNBC or CNN. Like, nonstop. Uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's the greatest be- show on earth. It's, a, it's, it's become the greatest a show on show. earth. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tell her occasionally, hey, you want to see something really funny? Tune in to Fox because we get Fox News. And she won't. And I don't blame her. But um, I say, look, try Hannity. See what happens. But, yeah, I mean, she's not on it all the time. But a lot of it, like at times she's watching the news. And I just went. Yeah, oh, no, no. This well, is like OJ trial shit. This is like, yeah, yeah this is like uh, this is a national exactly. story. You know, but it's like instead of, yeah, it's instead of like some event, it's like the world is just that now. Like I know. Because, and of this, because he's the president, though, because, you know what I mean? It's like that's, it's, uh, but, yeah. But they don't have Very to weird. cover every, they don't have to cover every stinking thing. So a lot of this is on the media. They created Trump and now they have to live with him and they continue to push him and along. And you know what I think so, is. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, because another thing is at play here too is the old Howard Stern thing, where it's like half the audience watches because they love you, and half or half listens because they love you, and half because they hate you and can't wait to hear what you're going to say next. It's like the exact, you know, it's the exact thing with with Trump. That's why, I mean, the people that hate him are just as fucking riveted by this, or probably more than the people who fucking love him. It's crazy. Yeah, I agree with you. Actually, very weird. More. 
They want to see him taken down. I actually saw somebody tweet on November 22nd, and I I can't stand Trump, but even I wouldn't go this far. But they took they paraphrased the line from the old uh, Simon and Garfunkel song, Mrs. Robinson. You know, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Nation turns its lonely eyes to you. And they tweeted, where have you gone, Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald? And nation turns its lonely eyes to you, which I actually kind of find funny, except for the fact that you're advocating assassinating the president of the United States, which um, is terrible. Unless, of course, you play the historical game of what if you could travel back in time and kill Hitler before he came to power. Anyway, um, but I, people were people have actually started tweeting stuff like this. And so you're in this really – I feel sorry for you guys. We have our problems up here, but whew, you guys, it's so polarized. And I see people on Facebook and stuff and longtime friends falling out <laughs> over – you know, the, the sort of bitterness and everything. And it's it's a shame. It makes the, whatever bitterness exists within ufology, look at me pivot back there, um, seem penny ante in comparison. Yeah. So pro wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we well, again, it's just, to, yeah, to jump off the line, the pivot point earlier that I had, it's like this is – the world has become like pro wrestling. So it's, it's – yep. you know, it's pretty it has, uh, it's pretty crazy. This, there was a New York Times. I got to find that article. I'll send it to you. It's like someone actually wrote that that the world is has turned and sort of you know put it laid it out there that idea and it's true you know everything's this bombastic theatrics of just you know even just the news like graphics and all that it's like you know everything's a showdown everything's a battle everyone's a character well, it's really uh, yeah and in a serious way I would say and I've always criticized about Americans in general, not specific ones. And you know what? I have a, It's less prevalent in Canada. We're a little more knowledgeable about the world, world but we, we have this problem too. Um, so, okay, what's going on in Myanmar? How many Americans are aware of the unfolding genocide there? I don't know, maybe some, but it's generally being underreported. How, many, how, much, reportage, how much reportage is happening about the coup and the installation of a new president in Zimbabwe. Well, it was mentioned, but that's that's a big story. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and some of it's like, good, where are the positive news stories? I wish the news would, you know, it's more positive stories too. It shouldn't all be Trump. So the other day he did the Pocahontas thing, right? So he had the code um, talker, the Navajo code guys, in and honoring them. And this should be a slam dunk for a president. Literally keep your mouth shut and say, you guys are awesome, uh, nation thanks you. And then that's it. Don't say anything else. Right. It's easy. That one shouldn't be hard. Can't help somehow Can't He help screwed himself. it up. Fine. Okay, you screwed it up, Trump. You know what the media should do? Like, just don't report it. I, like, who cares? Report the yeah, part. Yeah, that's absolutely he, right. I agree with that. Report the part where he didn't screw it up. So show him saying, you guys are national heroes and the nation thanks you. And then that's it. And then don't show the part about him doing the Pocahontas thing, because who cares? And yet that's the part that they focus on. He's just doing it on. for attention anyway. Yes. <laughs> he's like a toddler. He's just doing it for attention. So if you're just like, yeah, just ignore it because he's fucking a baby. You know, right. then, you know, then maybe, son, you know. My son-in-law is about to be indicted by the special counsel. Hey, let's uh, call Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas and take everyone's attention away from the fact that the Russians – you know, help me steal our election or whatever. Um, that That's what he lives on. That's what any sort of dictator or authoritarian lives on, the distraction. He's very good at it. People, he's, he's an idiot, but he has a couple of things he's very good at doing. 
and one of them is manipulating people. He's awesome at it, and uh, and we keep falling for it. And look, here you and I are talking about Donald Trump on the my last appearance on Banal of America. So that one's on me. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's funny. I'm glad we didn't get into this other topic, but it's like if <laughs> when they when they unearth the final season in like 20 years, they're going to be like, okay, I know who Donald Trump is, but who the fuck is Tom DeLong? It's like, Jesus, oh. I've talked about both those people too much this year, and I don't want to talk about him. Uh, so we're going to pivot because I know you can't hang out too long, so we'll jump to uh, <laughs> Gullius's greatest hits. I, I guess the question minutes. perfect segue. What's that? I had 50 minutes, Freddie, on Tom DeLong. Oh, well. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, if this is, a, this is a perfect question for a paranormal show, if, if 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 Donald Trump is impeached or forced to step down because he works with Russia, should he be removed from the WWE Hall of Fame? I like it. That is an awesome pivot. I will I will say one only one thing about Tom DeLonge. Blink eighty one eighty two was a terrible band, the ultimate corporate fake punk rock band. So. You shouldn't believe him for that reason, folks. He's a terrible musician. Um, should Donald Trump be removed from the WWE Hall of Fame if he's impeached or when he's impeached? Hmm. Right. I think not. I think he should remain in the WWE Hall of Fame. Um, yeah. I think the only person who shouldn't be in the WWE Hall of Fame is Chris Benoit. Like, and maybe Jimmy Snuka. Wait, he's already there. I was going to say, what about Jimmy? He's already in, yeah. But he's already in. If you want to remove somebody, um, yeah, right. start with Jimmy Snuka. Uh, but, um, you know, Ben was the untouchable, the unmentionable one. But uh, Trump, yeah, sure, leave him in. Why not? Um, it's, pro- it would be, it's probably where he belongs, you know, in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame or the WWE. And the great thing about the WWE Hall of Fame as a metaphor for Trump is there is no WWE Hall of Fame. There's no physical building. There's no... You know, it's just kind of they hold a big ceremony every year and some, they give you a ring, I guess. But there's no actual yeah. Hall of Fame. They should build one. It would be awesome. But they, there is none. I don't know why they haven't, actually. Um, they so keep that's talking the perfect about place, it. That, that's the perfect Hall of Fame for Donald Trump to be in, a Hall of Fame that doesn't actually exist. That's perfect. So yeah, he was right pro-wrestling enough to get elected president. That's pretty, you know, that's Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah. And he used pro wrestling tactics to do it, and he put Linda McMahon in his cabinet. So exactly, yeah. So he's yeah. definitely in the pro wrestling hall of fame. There's no, for better or I for know. worse, regardless of how you My feel own... about his policies. When it comes to pro wrestling, Donald Trump, he's hall of fame worthy. My only complaint about Donald Trump when it comes to pro wrestling is that he didn't put Vince McMahon in his cabinet. I don't even care where. Because if he put Vince McMahon in the cabinet, that would remove Vince McMahon from his role as <laughs> the guy running and ruining WWE programming and, you know, let Paul Levesque take over and turn modern WWE into something roughly akin to NXT, which would be awesome. Yeah. I have, have a, a very NXT nerd. Fan. I have a well. I have a very that's good because I have a very nerd question for you, uh, wrestling question wise. Um, that I, I'm, I'm afraid will keep you up at night, uh, maybe oh. weeping. Uh, have you been? Fo- you saw the last two shows, right? Relatively speaking, so the, the two post uh, Survivor Series shows. 
I've been busy working, so I read the write-ups, but I didn't. I okay, didn't that's really all you need to know. Shows. All right, that's fine. I don't even watch SmackDown. It, it, right. it, but people don't understand who <laughs> the non-wrestling fans who somehow, for some reason, are still listening. Um, what they don't understand is they 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 make so much stuff, they make so many shows that you pretty much, I don't know, it sounds the same way with, with Paul as it is with me. You turn almost into like you you watch less of the shows and just read more of the recaps. So you can yes. get an idea of what the story is. So that the the question or point or whatever uh, that may that may haunt you is you, you saw how they brought Paige back with two underlings uh, to form mm-hmm. a faction, right? Or you heard that? Absolutely. And then the next Absolution. night they created what's that? The Absolution, yeah. Yeah. And then the next night they created another three woman faction on SmackDown. Yes. Okay. Um, isn't it heartbreaking in a sense that they should have, could have just, uh, if, if they wanted to move Emma over to SmackDown, shouldn't they have brought up the, uh, the iconic duo to be, to be her faction? Wouldn't that have made more sense? <laughs> You've mentioned Emma and that makes me sad because, uh, you know, I love Emma. So, or Tennille as she's now going by. Right. Um, well, that's why I thought of you when this happened, because those two, the iconic duo, are also Australian. They all came up together. It's like if you're looking for a yeah. three-woman faction, you have one right there in your company. Why don't you – and then they release her, and it's like they have no foresight on this shit. No, and I, you know, who knows what you can believe, but I hear she was difficult to work with backstage, largely because she wanted a real character with real storylines. So I, I mean, I guess that makes her difficult to work with. Um, I, my hope with Paige, speaking of difficult to work with, is that both of these factions, so the SmackDown women, the three that that nobody knows, are part of Paige's faction. That she's invading both shows and using yeah. NXT talent. And I don't think they've made that clear yet. But if what they're doing on SmackDown is just recreating what they're doing on Raw then I hate it. But if what they're doing on SmackDown is they're working for Paige and she's trying to take over both shows, I love it. That's awesome. And that's the kind of sort of nonlinear high-end thinking that I really don't imagine uh, the WWE is capable of these days. But I remain hopeful that perhaps they are. Yeah, because sometimes, in my cynical opinion, it's like almost – there's a good chance that could happen, but it won't, it won't be what they planned originally. You know what I mean? It'll be like they were too no. lazy to come up with an idea, to, a, a different idea to debut the second faction, so they just copied the first first faction's thing the next night. And then maybe later someone will be like, hey, I read online and some people think these are connected. And I'll be like, that's <laughs> genius. Let's do that. Yeah, sadly enough, you're probably, you're probably right. So here's a question for you. Yeah. Um, Jinder Mahal, should he get another run with the title? Or is that an experiment that completely flopped and he should be sent back to the lower mid-card regions? Uh, He should just be sent back to the upper mid-card region, I think. I would make the SmackDown Uh, title like a uh, more of a... I would just put the belt on AJ, keep the belt on AJ Styles. He's the best wrestler in the company, so... uh, He's he 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 just puts on the best matches. 
I feel like Jinder Mahal, he was on terrible matches, and his character is like, it's JBL. It's JBL all over again. It's a completely, like, cartoon, uh, 80s-style cartoon bad guy. And it's like, why? It's just not entertaining at all. Yeah. So, so to me, it, I feel I... like if you're looking at it from sort of a, an even bigger picture point of view, it's like, now that he's had his run with the belt, you can include him in the upper echelon. But it's like, I wouldn't... You know, he's a, he's a Seamus level now. You've invented, you've developed a new Seamus. Yeah, that's not so bad. I I actually I'm a huge no, 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 gender yeah, fan. No. Huge gender fan. I believe you shouldn't hinder the genders. They say. Uh, I like to see him get another run with the title, and I'd like to see them do it the right way this time because I thought they they completely got that backwards. So they turn him into this heel because that's all Vince can think of. And he, they go with the whole ethnic thing and the race, the racial thing and everything. And what they wrote for him, like I don't like the stuff he did with Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, I mean, the guy's Canadian. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure he just went, "Oh my God, do I really have to say this?" All right, fine. I guess I'm I'm making money. Um, he's a natural face. If you ever listen to him in interviews, he comes across as charming, knowledgeable, uh, and he's got a great success story. He was literally, you know, out of it. He was a member of three man ba- three men band and everything. Why you would not build this up as a great success story of a guy who worked hard and came back and achieved his dream and reached the top of the mountain? That's the story you should tell. And instead, you turned him into a generic sort of racist heel. Uh, it's crazy. Um. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I'll give them credit in this sense. They, I feel like I can almost guarantee they'll they'll eventually mine that for a story. They'll turn him good. Look at like I said, he's he's now slotted like at the Sheamus level. So Sheamus flips back and forth, so we can fight all the different guys, you know. But he has that credibility that he's, uh, you know, that he's a former champion. He's been in a lot of big bouts. I would hope so, but I actually kind of see him as being sort of a Jack Swagger-like figure, technically a former champion, but I, see you know, I, I, don't, I don't see a bright like future. Like a Dolph Ziggler. Form. Yeah, well, not even at a Dolph Ziggler level. Yeah, that's I think true. He's, I think he, he's probably so ruined by the gimmick that they saddled him with that uh, you know he could be heading for a precipitous fall, not quite of Ellsworth levels but um yeah i think he could be like you know the ascension or something he might in a year you might think did, well, a comedy did, well, you don't want... did that ever happen did that re- was he really champion i don't i don't believe it well they have to stay well they have to stay committed to it then i mean that's on them you know what i mean it's like i, I they agree. need to they need to get him in uh you know segue him into a, a high level feud if he's not going to have the belt I don't know who he'd be. I well, they they seem to indicate John Cena. Like, uh, he I guess he wants a match with John Cena. So you know, and since they seem to, since WWE seems to resent John Cena, I get the impression they do. Um, hmm. That I have a feeling they'll 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 have him beat Cena, or uh, maybe just have the the annual sacrificial match to Cena at WrestleMania this year. Maybe. So here's another question for you. Who faces Brock Lesnar for the title at WrestleMania? It's Roman Reigns. Yeah, no. I was pretty I sure that but. that's that's what I've heard all year. Um yeah. 
it's just been a terrible, terrible uh, year. The story, you know, this Roman, this Roman Reigns thing is like, it'd be one thing if, it, they just seem to always be trying to coronate him. It's like, this is going to be like the fourth or fifth year in a row they've just kept trying. And it's like, at some point, it's like he's established, but he's just not the guy. He's just, people just don't want to really, that's why I love Braun Strowman. I think Braun Strowman's awesome. Yeah, yeah, so do I. The thing about Reigns is, if you keep him, like you already hear people talking about breaking up the shield again, unless you want to turn Reigns heel and have him be the guy who breaks it up, then you need to keep the shield together. If you're going to pin the title on him at WrestleMania, he has to be a member of the shield. It's the only way he doesn't get booed out of the building. But I think if he's a member of the Shield, you hear him getting – he's being cheered again. So within the context of being part of that group, um, I think people actually like him. It's when he goes away and they try and force him down people's throats. And I like Reigns. I think he's charismatic. It was thing on the mic. He's good at things. And I actually think he's, he's fun to watch in the ring. Um, sure, he's not AJ Styles, but then again, who is? He's better than a lot yeah. of guys, and he works. And he works hard. I saw him when they were here in Halifax this summer, and he worked hard, and he took all the bumps, and he was good with the crowd. Yeah, yeah, he's become a halfway decent wrestler. I mean, he's, you know. He's John Cena, and I mean that in a good way. Like, he's he's a guy you can build a company around. Um, But, you know, would I rather watch a Seth Rollins match or a Roman Reigns match? Well, that's easy, Seth Rollins. So... Um, and, you know, I'd say the same about AJ Styles or Finn Balor. I'd rather watch a Finn Balor match. The problem is uh, Finn Balor is not a believable challenger to Brock Lesnar. So that can't happen. You got to work your way down. You got to have the title taken off Lesnar by somebody like Reigns. And then Reigns would have to lose to somebody maybe like Rollins. And then I could believe that Finn Balor could beat Seth Rollins. But I don't believe he can beat, you know, even Roman Reigns. So you kind of have to work the title back down to humans as opposed to monsters and beasts. So do you think Braun yeah. Strowman's going to win the title within the next six months? Six months? Uh, I don't know. If they were smart, he would, but I don't think so. I think Roman Reigns will have the title, and, and maybe, if anything, I could almost see them already envisioning, even though they've fought a million times, uh, like a Braun you keep Braun a good guy now for until, you know, until like next, not, the, not 2018 Royal Rumble, the 2019 Royal Rumble, and then maybe you turn him heel, or maybe that's when you turn Roman Reigns heel finally. Um, but they have some Braun. I think Braun Roman might be the main event um, yeah. for some reason. I feel like they're, I feel like, I feel like he's on such an ascension that he, uh, you know, that they might try and, uh, you know, pivot them against each other. So I'm going to run a couple names by you. I want you to tell me whether you think they will ever be either WWE or Universal Champion, either either one of the titles. Will they ever hold them? Okay. <laughs> Samoa yeah. Joe. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to predicate really? this answer, though, just... Yeah, I'm gonna because I was thinking about it. Uh, one of my issues, I guess, with this endless coronation of Roman Reigns is like he's fought like everybody. You know what I mean? So it's not really interesting 
Like, remember when he won the title finally? He's like fighting with Sheamus and shit. It's like he's fought everybody because of the. Um, I noticed this when the Monday Night Wars happened. It's worse now. It's like, pro, especially from when I was a kid, but it's, I call it pro wrestling inflation. It's like a, a turn used to be like a, a major event every six months, and then it became like weekly. And now it's like these epic matches are on TV all the time. So it's mm-hmm. so it's like what constitutes an epic match anymore? Um, but and so, but I think that Roman Reigns will get the belt back from Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, and then they're going to need feuds for him. And yes. I assume that this I, the Brock Lesnar idea or uh, the experiment where it's like he's going to hold the belt. They've done it like twice now where he's going to hold the belt and never defend it <laughs> except for like three times a year. That I think this will be the last time they do that terrible idea, I hope. And so then the title's going to have to bounce around to different guys. That's how it gets, you know... That's how John Cena became a 16-time world champion. So I assume yeah. I assume Roman will bre- break that record because he's going to have to lose it to Samoa Joe and win it back. He's going to have to. So different guys will get a run with the belt. Yeah. The funny thing about being a 16-time world champion is that you're a 16-time world champion loser too. So um, or at least 15. I have times. a friend who always says that. Yeah, it's you know it's good news, bad good news, bad news. Wouldn't it be better to just be a one-time world champion and hold the belt for eight years, John? <laughs> That would be that would be more impressive. Uh, okay, so you think Samoa Joe will have a run with the title? Uh, what about Finn Balor? Will he get another run? I don't think. Oh, I forgot he had a one with the Universal title for a day. Um, yes. I, I, I for some reason I feel like they've soured on him, and I don't think they're going to give him a. Uh, he may get like sort of an a, like a Jack Swaggery honorary run, but I don't think he's going to like. Um, I don't think he's going to get a serious. Uh, win serious run with the or anything. Shinsuke Nakamura. I think I think I think he will, but almost like the opposite. In a, I guess kind of in a sense, but like I think he'll get sort of one as a shot, like like a Benoit reign, right. where it's like you got the title because you're revered. So here's a three month reign. Yeah, you know, I figured that's what they were gonna do with the with the, at SummerSlam. And have him lose yeah, it eventually. Yeah. Lose it to AJ Styles. I'm holding out yeah, hope that, for an AJ Styles Nakamura match at WrestleMania. That'll be amazing. That would be that would be a lot of fun. So two more, Bobby Roode. Uh, I could see him winning it on the SmackDown side for sure. Right. Um, yeah. I can see him winning on the SmackDown side. It's as a as a longtime fan, I just have to take issue though with the with the disparity in the titles. At least if they were going to do it this way, I feel like they should have made the Brock Lesnar title the the, the lineage championship. To me, I it's agree. like they invented a completely random title that has like that's the focus of the whole promotion. Well, you, I think you know what my belief is. There should be one woman's title, one tag team title, one WWE title, and then the U.S. and the Intercontinental titles can be show-specific. And the champions who hold the three main ones, tag team, women's, and uh, WWE, are free agents. They can appear on either show, and people can work right. their way up on either show and challenge them. But to get there, you, you, know, you have to work your way up. I just think it's, it's splitting the titles up like that is terrible. So here's one more. This is a guy I want to get another run with the one of the two big titles. 
And because uh, I've become, I was always a fan, but he has been the MVP of the WWE for the last year. And he's off television now for a while. The Miz. Is The Miz going to get, are they going to reward his fine work by giving him a title run when he comes back from making Marine 27? Um, they should. He deserves it. He's really improved quite a lot. Uh, I used to be a yeah. Miz. I, w- I wouldn't say hater, but I was indifferent. I was just like, eh, it's the Miz, you know. But he's really improved quite a bit in the last, uh, like, two or three years especially, to the point where, like, he he should get another run with the title, and if they do it, I would I could see them. Actually, I could see him. I could see him winning on either brand, to be honest with you, because he uh, he he seems like he's almost at that level now, honestly. So I'm pretty impressed. I mean, look at the look at the his send off was was big, getting beat by Roman Reigns. So you know, yeah, in a competitive match, his um, right. He's actually I, much better I can see in the him ring. Being, he was. A good comparison would be like to, a, to the Jericho role. Not necessarily yeah. now, but towards the end of his long run in WWE. You know what I mean? Where it was yeah. like, you could always count on him to main event, and he, as a heel, there's a good chance he's going to like steal the belt. Because the work he's done with the Intercontinental title and sort of building it up, <laughs> they should put into one of, the, one of the world titles. Yep. Well, the weird thing is, if you had asked anybody, you know, four years ago, is Miz a Hall of Famer? Um, you would have gotten probably mostly no's and I mean some people might have said well okay maybe but probably not uh, to me if you look at him now and you say is this guy going into the Hall of Fame um, you know if you take the Hall of Fame seriously because like Coco Beware is in it so um, right absolutely right. like he's a multiple intercontinental champion he's held the world championship um, a tag team champion, and he's more or less been the face of Raw for the last year in terms of carrying the, the sort of the talkie segments. Um, yeah. I, I think he's turned himself into an A-lister, like really. And if you had asked me that a few years yeah, ago, no, I, I agree. Say, the Miz? Um, but I, I've become a huge fan. He is the one thing that if I know he's on Raw, I will watch. Like I PVR Raw, and I, then I'll read the reviews, and I go, okay, this match looks like it's worth watching, maybe. But if if the Miz has a segment, and he pretty much always does lately, I'll go, yeah, no, I'm going to fast forward. I want to watch that because um, in the ring talking, he's awesome. Like it's just, it's hilarious. It's so good, so good. He's Jer. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. reached Jericho levels of you know in ring talkability. He's the only other Jericho's the only yeah. guy I can compare him to. Yeah. Cool. And right. he's a, yeah, exactly. And he's he's a fine wrestler, you know. I wouldn't say he's like great or anything, but he's perfectly he's perfectly fine. He's better than Jinder Mahal by a mile. Yes, yes he is, or a kilometer, you know? as we would say. There you go. He knows his character well. Yeah. Shit. So what's going on now? <laughs> Let's do the plugs, and we'll call it a night. So where can people find? Is the is there a, uh, where we start? Is there a Twitter for this thing? A website for the haunted show? Uh, you can go to www.winterlightproductions, that's all one word, .com. That's the corporate website, and uh, Haunted's got a page there. It does have a Twitter account, which I think is at Haunted TV Series, um, so you can follow us there, which would be great. And I know what your next question will be is, when can Americans see it or whatever, people in outside your little part of the world, Paul? 
And I suspect the answer to that question is going to be March or April of 2018. Uh, by then, it should be airing on um, or airing. It should be available on like places like iTunes and stuff. We do have a strategy. We do have a plan. But, you know, it's a slow, it's a slow, slow roll. Yeah, well, we got to get you down here into Bloxley for the. Uh, I would love. To, I would love to go to. I would love to go to a ghost. Like I have no interest in ever. Going I would to a too. UFO I, it sounds like I'm making fun of the idea and shit, but uh, it's no. uh, it's coming from it's coming from a place of like I want to go to the Bloxley Scarefest now. <laughs> um, well, yeah, no. I, now, like UFO conferences, no interest, but the ghost conference thing, uh, I'd love to go and see what it's what's what they're like. Absolutely. Very upbeat, I think, for based on my limited experience in uh, non-UFO <laughs> events. Well, uh, um, now what I'm about like, your wrestling? For the people that enjoyed the last like ten minutes, twenty minutes of this, uh, what you said you were launching a wrestling podcast. Has that been tabled because you're too busy? Um, yes and no. We did do one episode. My friend Dylan Garland and I uh, started a podcast called Sixty Minute Time Limit, and uh, which we thought was really clever. And we did one episode, and we enjoyed it, and then, boom, man, we got really busy. So as soon as Haunted winds down, it, it's not going to be a regular podcast. It's going to be like whenever we have the time and whenever we think about something like, oh, man, we, you know, it's the Royal Rumble. We need to do an episode about the Royal Rumble. Let's do that. But the idea that we would do one every week on a regular basis, uh, I, I can't see that happening because we'd go insane. Like, what, yeah, I was going to say that's insane. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to Plus, do an episode. Much like Paranormal Podcast, there's a billion <laughs> wrestling yeah. podcasts. So what's the point? Yeah. Well, you know, the point would be to talk with my good friend Dylan about something we love. So, but would I want to talk every week about, you know, <laughs> hey, what's what's happening with Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler? No. When I when we did do the one episode we've done so far, I was it was just after Emma got released, and um, you know, I wanted to talk about that. And there were a couple other things that were we wanted to talk about, but so I had something I wanted to talk about, and so I ragged on the WWE for probably twenty or thirty minutes, and you know that doesn't happen every week. So there you go. All right, we'll keep us posted on that. And do you have a personal place people should follow you, or uh, what, what your own website or anything, or is that the one you said? I, PaulAndrewKimball.com, but that's primarily for political stuff. Uh, I talk politics and things, so folks might not find that. You don't have like an old other side of truth, I mean, you know what I'm saying? The old, uh, uh, no, that, that oh, kind yeah, of like the, mothballed. The blog, the blog is still there. Uh, what is that? Redstarfilms.blogspot.com. Uh, I don't post on it anymore, really, but it's got years worth of writing. And, you know, come just, just find me on Twitter. Twitter, sorry. You can follow me on Twitter at, at PaulKimballFilm or uh, come find me on Facebook. I was going to say, and uh, send me a friend invite or something. Yeah, I'm I'm on all the social media things, so they can find He's me. He's on social media. Actually, yeah, I was going to mention. You should have mentioned, and I will mention that you uh, you're insanely prolific on Facebook. It's hard to keep up. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with you. Your wall. I know. Like well, it, it really is a stream of thought. It's quite. It's quite. Uh, I don't know. It's awesome. Well. We've been talking. About, I posted the Wikipedia. I posted the Wikipedia link to the Battle of Long Sioux on your Facebook page. So, um, yeah, I can multitask that way. It's awesome. All right, man. Well, we're up against the wall soon, and I know you got to get uh, to bed and get ready because it's an hour ahead where you are. 
might be an hour yeah. ahead soon where I am because they're talking about changing and joining up. Talk about the other colonies. They're talking about New England joining up with your time zone. So. Join us. Yeah. There you go. The Porg it's says the start hello. of the great Canadian uh, Reformation. We're gonna <laughs> New England's coming back. We want part we of that uh, that original colony. We take it all back. <laughs> or as the Queen likes to say, now that you have President Trump, she goes, "How do you like us now? <laughs> Are you rethinking this?" We welcome you back. We would welcome you back into the empire with open arms. You cantankerous rebels. Yeah. Um, Except for that. Except for that Sam Adams guy. I don't like his beer, so he can't come. But the rest of you can. All right, man. Well, hey, thank you very much for doing the uh, doing the show. I really appreciate it. All these years and all uh, all the adventures and. I appreciate the gravitas with which you've treated <laughs> tonight's conversation. Uh, uh, it's uh, it was humbling. So thank you, man. I I have no idea what that means, but I don't know if there was any if I was gravitas or not. Um, I I just appreciate you. You're the one podcast guy who, no matter what I've said over the years, has not come to hate me. So um, you know you've always welcomed me back, and uh, I I think you've had the best run on podcasting. Um, you know, I've been on other shows. I've even, as we know, hosted briefly another show. Um, but been all of America. I said it 10 or 11 years ago, and I'll say it again as, as you head out the door off into the sunset is the best of the best. You are the Ric Flair of podcasting. Wow. I'm using all of these quotes later someday. Yeah, go for it. So except, I, I appreciate except no this. John, <laughs> except, except no John Cena-esque substitutes. Stick with the original. He is the Ric Flair uh, of of podcasting, or you know the Kevin Nash, one or the other. A little bit of yeah, both. Yeah, either or. Yeah. All right. Both well, fun. hopefully, uh, my Canadian plans for next year are up in the air because the Canadians are coming to America. So uh, my my oh. family's coming here. So uh, yeah. Ooh, very- it's like, uh, you know, it's like every sequel has to change location. So, um, yeah, but I but I had so much fun in Halifax and everything, uh, considering we're considering returning anyway and doing kind of what we did last time, exploring some of the nooks and crannies of uh, the Maritimes. So I will let you know. You are always welcome. And uh, I am uh, considering uh, resurrecting the New Frontiers Symposium sometime over the next year. So if I do that, we'll have to put you on the speaker list. I'm I'm pretty sure you I would love that, man. That'd be great. Yeah. Put you in front of the podium or sorry, behind the podium for a change and uh and let you take the slings and arrows from the uh, Q&A afterwards. Oh, those audiences. Oh, they'll love me. Yeah, no, they they would. Um so uh so yeah, that that's something, you know, I'd love to have Aaron and and you and Greg and Nick, you know, kind of like a cabal re- reunion or something up here. And uh, and then I'd film it and sell it. So yeah, we'll see what happens. There you go. See, take learn your lesson, yeah. uh, professional ghost hunters. <laughs> yes, film everything and then sell it. That's exactly. how it works, boys. Anyway, thanks very much, Tim. All right, man. Have a great night. Thanks you too. Thanks everyone for listening. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Thank you to all the folks in the. Uh... In the chat room tonight, thanks to all the folks listening on MP3. Hopefully uh, people are still listening after all that wrestling talk. 
or as Paul would call it, he's still on the thing here, so he's probably hearing me wrestling, as my uncle might call it, wrestling talk. Uh, no show next week. Oh, no, what am I talking about? No guest yet next week. I got one in mind. Uh, I got to get in touch. I got to lock it in. Uh, fell a little behind with the holidays, man. What do you want from me? It's crazy to think about that uh, we just did Rucksgiving. It's like we're really, we're really heading down the pike here, full throttle uh, towards the finish line. I mean, we had had Go Rightly on recently, Bruce Rucks, and now Paul Kimball. It's like the all of the uh, all of the stalwarts of the show have been on here in the final season, but there's still a handful more stalwarts and uh, other people, legends, icons of the show, and. Uh, and I, I, I think I have a few more surprises up my sleeve, so uh, I can't tell you much more than that. <laughs> but I have to get in touch with uh, a couple of people and try and get that together for next week. And as usual, stay tuned uh, to the website. Stay tuned to Banal of America on Facebook, and we'll have the information uh, on that once I get confirmation. And uh, that's about it. Hope everybody has an awesome week, and I'll. Uh, See you next time.